Hello, welcome to another episode of Zeno Chat. I am one of the co-hosts, Tyler, and I'm here with my other co-host, Justin. Hey, everyone. All right, we got two guests today. Uh, returning from our religion episodes is Owen. Yellow. Okay, and we have a new guest today, and that is Blue. Hey, guys. Okay. All right. So, what we'll do uh, today, um, we're kind of a little low on news, so we'll just kind of skip that for this episode. But today's focus is on Shulk. Um, before we get into that, though, uh, Blue, since you're new to uh, being on the podcast, uh, would you like to go over your Zeno uh, experience with us? Uh, sure thing. So, uh all right. It starts about in 2009 or 10 or something like that. I was in this mm-hmm. mall in Okinawa. This was during a trip to visit family. And I saw an ad for Xenoblade, as it was known in Japan. Mm-hmm. It was ju- it was those early uh, advertisements that showed the Bionis and the Bacchanis and always ended, or was it began, with the title card. And that, boom! I'm not sure if I'm describing this correctly. Oh, you're fine. Are you talking about, like, posters or like, commercial? Commercial. Oh, commercials. Okay, because so I think I saw some of those on YouTube. Yeah, and so I looked up on that, and then I came, and I learned about Xenoblade Chronicles, The Last Story, and Pandora's Tower, and how there was a movement of fans trying to get the overseas to, the, to, to America, mm-hmm. and I figured, why not save something for that? And for... My birthday at one point, uh, I pestered my mom into getting me to GameStop so I could buy a fresh copy of Xenoblade. And nice. So I got that and uh, played through it and really enjoyed it. And then a few years later, well, more recently, I also got Xenoblade 2 for the Switch. And before that, I think, Xenoblade Chronicles 3D for the 3DS. Mm. I haven't actually gotten that far into the 3D version. I didn't either. I don't even have it. <clears throat> Neither do I. <laughs> yeah, the oldest. <laughs> so, did you ever hear of um, Xenogears or Xenosaga beforehand, or was everything just Blade for you? Uh, vaguely, I was aware of characters like Cosmos. Okay. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, half of it was spoiled for me at some point. Oh. I mean, I, I'm not surprised, because, like, at that point, um, Saga had been out for quite some time. Uh, that's, yeah, but that still sucks, That being though. said, I don't <laughs> remember much of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, that, that's cool. I mean, I, I like asking that, because um, I know for many of us on Zeno Chat, we have played Gears and Saga before playing Blade, and for a lot of us, that's kind of what got us interested in Blade in the first place, because... Was it even called Xenoblade? It had a completely different title, and then once mm-hmm. they changed to Xenoblade, it's just like, oh, whoa! We should start. Uh, we gotta start listening to this now. You know, we gotta start paying attention because this could be the next game we've been waiting for. So, mm-hmm. and, and I know, you know, a lot of people didn't get a chance to play uh, Saga for various reasons, and Gears also because I know, at least for me, the game was really hard to find. It wasn't always the most accessible uh, title out there. So it is interesting to hear from people who jumped in at Blade, which I think is still perfectly valid. I mean, I'm kind of the exact same thing. I only went back to play Gears after I finished Xenoblade 1 and X at the time. I just found Gears in a shop, so 
Speaking of X, speaking of X, uh, mm-hmm. I don't own a Wii U. It's mm-hmm. no surprise why, but for some reason, I kept going to this uh, brick-and-mortar game store to play Xenoblade X for uh, about $5 an hour. Oh. Yeah. Unfortunately, wow. that comes with that. I don't, I couldn't really carry over my save data. Gotcha. Right. Yeah, that's understandable. I, I can't imagine um, those kind of places letting you transfer save data. Or at least any of the ones I've seen out here, none of them are going to let you do that. Yeah, they don't. The opening hours of X are the best anyway. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they didn't hang on to it. And right now that store's closed, actually. They had oh. to. Move, they moved everything out a few months ago or something. Now it's now the oh. space is waiting for a new business or I think mm. that sucks. Well, yeah. did you enjoy the little bit of Xenoblade Cross that you got to play though. Yeah, which was which did not include Here the skills. Oh. It did not include the skills. Those are late, like really late in the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It took me fifty hours. It took me forty-five. Holy crap! It takes that long yeah. to get a license. Yes, it. Chap- yes, it does. Chapter eight, right? Like it's long. Uh, that yeah, yeah, it's a long time to prove yourself worthy of a skill. Yeah, because yeah. you gotta wait till a really late chapter, and then it's like a whole series of side quests so you can get the license for it. And I think there's like another chain of quests too, just to like get the skill itself. And isn't there? It also takes a while for you to get the ability to fly. Yeah, yeah. like oh the goodness. flight. The flight module isn't until after chapter ten, I believe. Yeah. <gasps> okay. Yeah. And then you get you get for chapter eleven, like like the end of chapter eleven, and then it's mandatory for the last chapter. Ah. Uh, mm. Also. Oh yeah. Remember what I said about spoilers? I also got spoiled for X. Oh. Uh, <sighs> I wouldn't say there's a lot to spoil. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say there's like one major spoiler in uh, Xenoblade Cross, like the mimes. Other than that, not really. Well, well, there's kind of well, uh, there, like I'm, the I'm not calling them what they actually are. <laughs> I'm uh, not gonna call them. Like, yeah, go ahead. No, it's no, no. Uh, you go. Sorry, I'm not gonna call them what they actually are. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure you're not gonna go into that episode yet. Oh, oh, right. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, but yeah, that I mean, yeah, that still sucks. But well, I kind of spoiled something for myself in uh, X before I beat it too by just glancing through the luckily the player's guide. But that was my fault. Uh, luckily, Xenoblade Two was the one I was able to keep myself uh relatively pure and chaste for. Huh. I mean, I still knew about the final chapter being being not on the planet, but I didn't know what else was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Two is so weird for me because I actually basically binged that game for two weeks just so that way I couldn't, I wouldn't fall behind the general <laughs> populace. And then I get, then I get to the end of the game, and it turns out like, aside from a very few select people who had beaten it within four days, um, oh, yeah. I had, I was like way far ahead of everyone else that I knew. So I'm just like, huh? Yes. So I'm just sitting, I'm sitting on the ending of Xenoblade Two for like a month while these guys play it. Have fun. <laughs> So, is this yeah. because of or in spite of those uh, random chance mechanics with the core crystals? Uh, I mean, I feel like Xenoblade 2 is balanced well enough that the uh, core crystals and getting the rare blades doesn't matter a whole lot. 
Because if you're just casually playing, um, Pyra and Mithra will get you through a vast majority of the game, just single-handedly. Yeah, but if you don't have your field skills, like, a certain yeah. level, uh, that can slow you down. That can slow you which, down a little bit, but even that I didn't think was too, too, too bad, because... Oh, uh, no. As long as you're opening crystals, your chances are you're going to have those skills. Although it's possible to finish it on a normal playthrough, which, it, like, fine, and I, I did it perfectly fine on a normal playthrough... The the gacha system is still my least favorite part of the the core gameplay design of Zenoblade. Same, game, like by far. Yeah. Same. Yeah. yeah, my brother asked me if I would like ever start the game over, like uh, like a clear, just like start over without carrying over anything over. And I was like, no, no, I'm never doing that again. Uh, the game doesn't even the game the game doesn't even let you do that. I ch- I restarted my file. Um, unless uh-huh. unless you like hard wipe it, like hard wipe the game from your uh system or whatever. I restarted a file from scratch, and basically what the game does is that when you open core crystals, you have a, an extremely uh. high chance to reawaken the stuff that you've already gotten. Um, oh, thank God! So, like in like in the first two hours, I got basically fifteen, like not fifteen, but like seven of the rare blades that I had in my previous playthrough. So now, when you oh. reawaken those rare blades, is their affinity the same, or is that reset? I to- think that does reset. But I'm not. Okay. I I don't remember quite remember. It's been a while since I because, revisited that file. Because that's the thing. Like, um, I spent a lot of time in the post game, and this is actually the, this is the biggest thing that bothers me about Zenoblade Two, even more than the gotcha system, is that the blades don't really become um, viable till you start maxing out their affinity, because that's when you can actually start to use many of their mechanics. And I noticed that, like. That's why this is the reason why I would never do a clean, uh, a clean file because Blade 2's battle system is so painfully slow and you only have so many options at first. But once you actually get the other blades, even the common blades, and you can max up their affinities, you can really start taking advantage of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm just going to say this. The one saving grace about this system is that it doesn't reach into uh-huh. your wallet. You hear yeah. that? Yay! Yeah. Oh god! Yay! <laughs> anyway, so I, apart from that, I also watched a lot of people play the game, see how they reacted to mm-hmm. it, so just like such as Chugga Conroy, who was introducing the game to his audience, and Etika, may he rest in peace. Mm-hmm. And uh, right now, the I don't, I don't currently have Turn of the Golden Country quite yet. Mm. It's good, but the likelihood of me yeah. getting that's pretty low anyway. Oh, it, it's you know, we, have, we still haven't done a Torna episode yet. Funny enough, Torna's oh, like an episode movies. focused yeah. on Torna, Turn of the it's Country, or Turn oh, of the we... Group, Torna the Golden Country. Okay, well, I suppose we could probably do an episode either one. Yeah, you just have to delineate that. <laughs> True, subtitle is okay. very important. Okay, I'll have to add those to the list. (laughs) (laughs) We always think of at least one or two ideas during an episode. Yeah, and then we never record them. (gasps) Ah, we we will eventually, hopefully. Anyway, um, is there anything more you'd like to discuss, Blue, about uh, Zeno? Uh, not so far. I mean, like I've written at least one or two things regarding it, Uh but. they're both in gestation, so I don't know if they'll uh-huh. ever touch them again. 
Although I am playing, oh, like, uh, although there's a series that I'm working on currently, and that, and Xenoblade and Xenoblade 2 might wind up on it somewhere, as well as Xenoblade X. Alright, so yeah, today's topic is, well, Xenoblade's golden boy, Shulk. Hello? Yay, the Monado boy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. The Monado boy. Basically, the, the, uh, the icon of the entire franchise. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, he's shown up in some shape or form in just about every Xenoblade game since the first one. I mean, X is <laughs> his voice, but it's, but yeah. I hope, I hope Adam Howden voicing a character is a tradition that uh, survives forever. <laughs> yes, yes. He is I hope they bring him back great. in uh, Xenoblade 3. That'd be great. That would be great. Whether he's Shulk or anybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, does anybody want to kind of like discuss who this uh, blonde kid is? <laughs> All right, so yeah, Shulk. Um, he is the guy that, according to interviews, was meant to be a protagonist that wouldn't be hated, or so so to speak. I think yes. he succeeded. <laughs> Yeah, according and, to um, I, I think Shulk is a kind of an interesting character for that because he's very he's a very positive character, and I know that the JRPG fandom they don't always like positive characters. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't always like characters who are often fighting for the right things. They like things that are a little bit more gray, and I know people who are fans of Saga and Gears they tend to like their characters a little bit more gray too. So, mm-hmm. ironically enough, even though Shulk is this guy who shouldn't be hated, depending on who you ask, he absolutely is hated for the simple fact that he's a good boy. <laughs> uh, here's, well, I don't think his revenge scores him any points. Hmm, yeah, I mean, that that is an interesting point. So, like... It's it's actually kind of interesting that you like when you look at him because like especially if you compare Xenoblade to like a lot of the other let's be honest uh kind of subpar RPGs that were coming out at, at the time um, um, this was during the uh, seventh generation after all which is kind of infamous for having a lack of really good RPGs yeah uh, it's like the mm-hmm. pages. Um, <laughs> uh, and like and this is coming off of the golden age uh so this is like after PS2 after PS1 and like the trend had kind of become like make your JRPG characters kind of, like, it, like the like the cool-looking ones kind of, like, can make them, like, I'll just say emo. Like, I think emo cloud in uh, in uh, Kingdom Hearts, uh, when they turned him from the kind of, like, goofy character <laughs> that he is originally into... Right. Who they t- t- ...into who he actually became in Kingdom Hearts uh, was a big, like, shift in how protagonists were viewed in RPGs, and it, it set it down a very interesting path and like sometimes it worked well like i'm personally a huge fan of uh neku in uh the world ends with you i think they pulled that off well but like oh yeah but like that was still like the 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 archetype right that that you typically see but shulk is kind of like stands out as someone who is a little bit more like bright-eyed and kind of like he kind of enjoys his life a little bit more he's um he's like a less whiny luke skywalker if that makes any sense in episode four Really? Uh, well, um, well, like if you actually look at Luke Skywalker in Episode Four, he's very whiny at the beginning, but he's still like kind of bright-eyed and like has like he enjoys what he does. He well, he he has he has ambition and like knows kind of what he wants to do and is like com- comfortable with uh, things that he uh, that he likes to do. 
Um, and yet, it takes upheaval for him to move. Exactly. Um, but uh, Shulk is just interesting, just because uh, although he is himself a very positive kind of like outlooking character, he is put in a very negative, almost kind of selfish situation. Like, obviously, people attack like like robots attacked his home and all that, and his love interest was mm-hmm. killed and all that. But uh, it's not, he's not fighting technically for the town. I mean, that's probably what like Ryan and like Dumbman or to a lesser extent Dumbman's fighting for. No, he's fighting because uh-huh. he's just angry that his love interest was killed. Yeah. And like yeah, the and, game makes that very clear. Yeah, and that's what makes him relatable: his anger. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and uh, I I'll go out on a little bit of a personal note. Uh, when Zelda Blade One came out, <clears throat> I was going through a lot of rough times. And when I first played Xenoblade, Shulk reminded me a lot of myself in a few ways. Um, and some of his flaws, I thought I shared some of them too. Yeah, same so here. So when, uh, so when there's a scene where Fiora, where Fiora dies, that kind of brought back a, um, a particularly bad memory that I had when I was younger. And just his anger really reminded me of that. And so when I was playing this game and seeing Shulk evolve and him develop, it was mm-hmm. kind of like, that was kind of the thing that just made me realize I need to get better too. And that game felt like I was going on the same journey that he was. So for that, I kind of really liked Shulk. Um, I liked the idea that he was really angry. I also liked that, uh, and I mentioned this in Amelia episode, uh, one of Shulk's biggest flaws is that he isn't great at communicating how he really feels. Mm-hmm. And that's shown in quite a few cutscenes with all the other characters, like Fiora, for example. Mm-hmm. They're, they're obviously great friends and everything, but Shulk, there's always like there's always some sort of disconnect between the two at the very beginning. I would say there's like they were. Go on. No, no, no. I was just gonna say like the, I feel like there is an exception to that, and that's in the form of Ryan. And, but I would say that's mostly because Ryan can kind of read Shulk's body language more than exactly he can read his actual. Like, yeah. Point. Yeah, and I was actually gonna get to that. Um, Ryan, and that's why Ryan works as the kind of character that he is because he can see through Shulk. He knows when Shulk is hiding something, and he often calls him out for it. Yeah, and, yeah, and and, I, and again, like I said in the Melia episode, that was one of the reasons why I think Shulk and Melia work so well together because they both can relate because they have a very similar flaw. They're both really bad at communicating their inner feelings. Mm-hmm. And another thing that made Shulk kind of great was that um, all this horrible stuff happens to him at the very beginning of the game that really just kind of opens his eyes to, you know, just how just how dark this world really is. And he and he and instead of sulking and succumbing to the darkness, he keeps his head up. And I and that was something that's always stuck with me, uh, just personally, and that helped me get through a lot myself. So. That, that's that's one thing that I always liked about um Shulk. I like that he is something, somebody admirable. That I like his optimism, and I think that's just something very motivating and just a positive mes- message to send in general. But like, mm-hmm. even though like he always keeps his head up, that's not for lack of like falling victim. Like he like there are several oh, times throughout absolutely. the story where he is literally an inch away from falling off the the wrong uh taking like taking the wrong step or whatever. Like yeah. yeah, and you know, yeah, definitely. It's funny. It's funny you mentioned that because there's a particular scene that I've seen a lot of people um, freak out about. There's one scene, of, like 
a lot of people who hate Shulk, there's this one particular scene where they really dislike him. It was a scene where he was um, basically about to defeat Metal Face. Uh-huh. And... No, no, it wasn't he was about to defeat. It was when Dunban was oh. about to attack Metal Face, and Shulk told him oh, to hold back. Oh, right, right, that. And then... Yeah, but uh, then he turns around, and then what does he do to Yaldabaoth? Yeah. Yeah. Though, uh, Yaldabaoth was a little bit more, like, <laughs> other personality interfering but uh yeah it that is interesting like how shulk is in that in the metal face scene that you're talking about he's uh he's trying to like view humanity as like more of an Mm -hmm. objective thing and not like through personal bias like he knows that he now knows that there are people stuck inside these particular machines and he doesn't know why that's Mm -hmm. happening and why they're turning basically turning their own people against them the mechon Mm-hmm. And that now that it's gotten Fiora, he has to get to the bottom of this. And that's that's actually something I often I often think about is how different would Xenoblade be if Mumkar was revealed as Metal Face first, like they showed him first. Like, what if Fiora was revealed second? How different would the 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 games like? How different would your view of the game be? I think it would be very different because you'd have more initial hostility thoughts. Yes. Because, you know, Mumkar yeah. Mumka puts a bad taste in your mouth in the uh, in the prologue of the game. But uh, but because they introduced Fiora, someone who you know personally is, like, very caring, and you've played as her, and you know what her skill trees are if you pay attention and stuff like that. At least in um, the beginning. Yeah, like the like the qualities you can see in her uh, skill trees, specifically. Like, you know, you know this character, and, like, she's, like, you may suspect that Melface is Mumkar, but the first one that they overtly reveal is Fiora, and I just find that mm-hmm. fascinating for both the player and for Shulk. Um, I do also kind of, I do want to kind of go back to what uh, you were talking about, um, about how Shulk is bad at communication, because one, some, one thing mm-hmm. that I find really interesting is that he never, like, gets over that. Like, he's, even by the end of the game, he's very, he's still very, very bad at communication. Yeah. There, I mean, there are times when he has to step up to, like, talk to Eggo and stuff like that. Right. But, like, he like overtly just is really bad at it, and he never gets good at it ever. Um, like he, yeah, it, he tries, it, but yeah, he he does try, and it's kind of interesting. Um, and that this is why um I, I actually really like Xenoblade for for that. Like I like that um him and Melia they both kind of have a similar thing where they both struggle at communication, and it's also interesting if you think about it that plays into the gameplay too, because that's a big part of Shulk's playstyle is communicating with the other party members. That is true. I'm also looking at, like, his skill trees, specifically, and because skill trees are, like, the uh, the parts of the character that they, like, want to work on themselves, uh, Shulk's five are integrity, humanity, intuition, pessimism, and bravery. <laughs> pessimism. Pessimism. <laughs> That's interesting. Pessimism, wow. <laughs> and uh, pessimism is actually the um, the one that comes with Desiree's future, and Desiree is the daughter of Zord, if you remember that. Right. Yeah. That one is really interesting if you think about that in the context. I don't know. Yeah, wow. You know, I don't think I, I remember that. Wow. That's, that like, uh, hope for the best, prepare for the worst kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shulk, in general, just, like, he has, like, like with the exception, I think, of Jade Face... 
he uh shulka's like uh has a like a very interesting relation with every single one of the uh the face mech on so like F- F- uh fiora is obvious um because you know mm-hmm. love interest and all that Mumkar is interesting because uh there's just like a much more one-on-one revenge feeling although that is right. also shared with dunban it also feels very personal between Mumkar and shulk uh, Zord is really interesting because although he's kind of like the initial kind of like big bad whatever, at the end there's like a lot there's like a kind of mutual like respect for the they have for each other which is really interesting and Shulk is like trying to like have a dialogue with them but uh, Zord like falls into the ether to prevent uh, him from giving up the answer to the Monado and then of course there's Egil which of uh, he is like the very similar to Shulk in many ways, except uh, like being both driven by revenge and all that. Yeah, I, I find that it really interesting as well, and yeah, the fact she... that he's the bane of the ro- uh, bane of the Mechon in his hands. Yeah, Shulk's revenge is pretty strong to begin with, but it doesn't get so far as to Eggle's uh, genes- plans to genocide the entire Bionis. Mm-hmm. But it's also kind of interesting. Um to think about how strong Shulk's revenge is, because within context of the game, or at least what we know of Shulk up until that point, it's kind of a complete 180. Because like he's kind of introduced as like this non-hostile geek. He just likes to study these weird robotic parts, work in a lab, just kind of has fun, but then now he likes to- Fiora is killed, and it's just like he's out for blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's more and like of a, although he's more of a live and let live or something like that, and like he still keeps that up a lot. Though you can definitely yeah. you can definitely tell yeah. by the way he talks, especially at the beginning, that he it's always on his mind. Because although there's like a bunch of like smaller side plots, like the Melia plot and the Charlotte plot, um, where it's like, uh, like they have to face like their uh like that's face Zord and the Telethia and um all that. Like, you can, like, Shulk explicitly tells them that he doesn't want them to go through what he went through, which I find really interesting, because Shulk, like, throughout the game, he is still, like, a very positive character. Yeah. But there are, it's those moments that, like, remind you that, like, he's always thinking about this. He's realistic, you know, and that's the thing that I liked about him, is that he is optimistic, but he hasn't fully forgotten about potential danger, and that's something that you don't see a lot, because a lot of people like to criticize shonen protagonists for being too optimistic, and they say, oh, well, they're blind. They don't think about the negative stuff. Shulk does think about the negative stuff, but is positive in spite of it, Mm -hmm. which is something that I personally don't see as much, or at least I thought Xenoblade did that fairly well. Yeah, Shulk's Shulk's very nuanced in that uh, sense, for sure. Like, so... No, you go. Like... If he could, he'd, he'd probably hammer away at, at whatever he's working on in weapons development and not not give, a se- give the outside world a second thought, probably. But uh, when the attack on Colony 9 happens, he has to confront it. That's actually... The, I actually was just thinking about that. So, with the attack of Colony 9 and stuff like that, um, I find it interesting that a character that is like very like he's like he's a thinking type, right? He he thinks mm-hmm. things through. Mm-hmm. Despite that, th- throughout the game, like his battle style specifically is very much reliant on instinct. 
Um, and what I mean by that is that, like, he takes the Monado without, like, a second thought. Uh, he accepts the visions without a second thought, basically. Um, right. He uh, And then throughout the game, even though he gets more and more visions, he just, like, kind of accepts them as true. Which is really interesting, knowing the, like knowing like the the purpose the visions play at the very end of the game, um, but it's almost it's weird how like when the Monado is introduced to his character, it adds an almost like contradictory nature to him, which makes sense if you like if you like in the context of the full story, but it's still like but it also feels compatible at the same time because yeah, you know, and it's kind of interesting because that also falls in line with what Dunban was trying to teach him too. Mm-hmm. That, like at many points of the story, Dunban is often telling Shulk you should act on instinct. Yeah, and it I mean, like, Yeah, I mean, like we were even talking about, like the the the, the part where Dun uh, where Shulk defends Metalface, and Dunban literally says in that scene, uh, "Where's your killer instinct? Mm-hmm. Now killer is the instinct. time." Yep. Mm-hmm. Let's see, it's also important to remember that Shulk is an orphan. Like, yeah, he. Like, his parents died when he was, like, four, but he doesn't seem to... Like, he mentions this in his cutscene of Storm Marsh. He, he doesn't really mourn them in the traditional sense. Like, the way he sees it, the Monado is, like, their their final gift to him, and so he carries it uh, on kind of, like, preserving their memory. Um, mm-hmm. And, and like, it makes sense, I guess, where he... Like, his family has become Fiora, Ryan, Dixon, and Dunban. But it's... um I guess, And I guess that makes sense, but he's also just, like, Straight up just doesn't have a traditional family in uh, the normal sense. Yeah, yeah you're one hundred percent right on that. <laughs> like, there's, there is a. I think the big question here is like, where does uh, aside from, of course, like the whole revenge thought, uh, plot, where does like his like primary motivation and character uh, characteristics come from? Because there's, you could tell there's a lot of things that is like driving him from like the way like Dixon is implied to be also kind of a hermit and. Uh, forages around the world, meeting new people, collecting technology for weapons and stuff like that. And so, uh, and then Shulk ends up adopting that mentality where he's making weapons, but then he's spending all his time in a lab becoming, like, kind of antisocial. But then there's, like, Dunban, who is giving him, like, the instruction to be instinctual and fight uh, based on what uh, your feelings are telling you. And then there's, like, Fiora, who's, like, sending him into all kinds of awkward places. And then there's Ryan, who's kind of, like, teaching him to be reliant there's a, and then of course he, like he doesn't have parents either so he kind of think takes things into like a little bit more of like a I guess that's not not really like a direct correlation but he he does take things in a more analytical sense because he's raised in like a kind of like kind of practical setting I guess mm-hmm. yes he's taught to be more objective yeah, yeah also about his motivations it kind of I noticed how they uh, change over the course of the game so it's like first he's he wants to figure out the Monado. And then he, and then the attack happens, and he wants revenge against Metalface. And then halfway through that, it turns out that Fiora is alive, and his objective goes from avenging her to getting her back. And it just changes mm-hmm. from there. Right. And I mean, that kind of... Because, like, there's a, there's a couple things going on there when he finally finds out that Fiora is in one of those Mechon. It's one... I want to get this girl back, and two, just what is even going on? So you mm-hmm. can also make the argument that he's also driven by his innate sense of curiosity. Yeah, that, he yeah. wants to see what the Mechon really are and study that. That is true. That is very true. 
and that leads them to the Machina. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of, like, kind of thinking about, like, there there are a lot of, like, times when, like, Shulk kind of takes things in, like, the most, like, un- like I don't know how to, how to express this, but, like, he, te- like, he, yeah, like, the Machina, so, like, that. I'm just, like, thinking, he takes things, like, in a more, like, curiosity sense, I guess, where he's more fascinated with them than he does, like, I mean, like, with the exception of, like, the whole revenge thing where he just, like, kind of turns blood red when he sees Metal Face. Uh, but before that, he, he he is, like, a little bit more, like, interested. So, the, like, when they see, like, a, a good example is in Garaplane, when they see the, the smoking car, the first question is, isn't, like, what happened here? It's, hey, let's go check it out and see what damage there is. <laughs> Right, because they they figured that's not from like from a simple campfire. Yeah, and that leads no, to the Jujutsu Kaisen. Shulk's sense of curiosity that's seen throughout pretty much most of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, even when they're when he meets Melia and the other Hyentias, uh, he's always curious about the world outside of Colony Nine and what else is on the Myonis, and then eventually the Mechonis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and actually, now that I think about it, if you actually think about, like, how Shulk kind of, like, progresses, like, how he views the world throughout the story, it's really interesting. So, in the beginning, he actually, like, has a really grounded understanding of everything in his immediate area. area. So, like, he knows basically yeah. everything about, like, the Magmel ruins that he can. He knows everything about Colony 9, the immediate area. And then, like, he knows mm-hmm. a little bit about Colony 6, um, and, and so like that. There's also the floor and... Well, no, not the floor. The fauna the, around Colony Nine, like that um, crabble, that yeah, that he tried to mm-hmm. take a shell of. Mm-hmm. Classics oh, seems yeah. to be like a Xenoblade tradition. Yeah, the the the, the crab at the start of the battle. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, but think? like, uh, and then, but if you if you actually like watch how he like views the world from going um on and on. Like he understands Colony Six a little bit, and actually, when they get when they're like at the Colony Six area on the knee of the Bionis, like it's Ryan who actually says that McConnell is their enemy first, and it's like Shulk who has to repeat that. Um, and then like they get to Satoral Marsh, and it kind of just blows Shulk's mind. And then they get to then they keep going throughout the world, and everything just kind of like it, it like it's a it's like a sense of discovery where he's he knows everything, and then he just is learning more and more, which I guess is, like, pretty archetypical hero's journey stuff, but still it's super right. cool. I mean, it it is, but this is the thing, a lot of it is cliche in, in theory, on paper, but it works because it it doesn't feel out of place for the character. I mean, the hero's journey is still used everywhere from frickin' uh, mm-hmm. from, like, Dragon... I'm, I'm sure Dragon Quest uses it, uh, to uh, frickin' Rick and Morty uses it as, like, a Right. Uh, a central part of their plotting, so it's not a bad thing to use it. It's just how you, it's, it's just it's, not. it's oh, no. how you use it exactly, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm trying to say. Like uh, I think it was used well because you know not only is it something that you typically would use, but it actually does make sense for the character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and also with his curiosity, it also helped expand the world for the the player as well because um, he was constantly wanting to learn more and it was a good way to kind of dump information without it being, like, info-dumpy. Mm-hmm. Like learning a so little, now, little I bit guess by a, bit. I guess another topic we can go into uh, with Shulk, because something that I hear a lot of people say is that Shulk never makes any mistakes. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, 
What? Yeah, I've, I've seen conversations online where people like to say, you know, Shulk is too perfect. He never makes any mistakes. Everything he does goes his way. Uh, uh, they okay, haven't seen the Telethia fight, the have they? Uh, okay, so let's just na- let's name a couple off. Uh, he doesn't tell anyone about the visions, like really about the visions, until halfway through uh, the ether mine. Yeah. Um, he he takes on like pretty arrogantly, actually. He takes on the entirety of Galahad Fortress and gets completely destroyed. Basically, he has to be rescued by Fiora and Mayneth. Um, trying to think what else. Uh, he fails to convince Egil. Uh, in the in his first attempt. Uh, let's see. Um, I'm, these are just the big examples. Like, just immediately come off the top of my head. <laughs> he almost gives up. He almost gives yeah. up near the, uh, after the battle in the Mechanist Corps. He dies? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that's... He dies, then he gives up. And then, and then Alvis has to talk to him. Yeah. Uh, let's see what what else. There's there's a lot. We're of getting stuff. into a lot of spoilers. We should have prefaced this with a spoiler. spoiler it's warning. right. I'll I'll put something in the notes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Trust me, we can't avoid spoilers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the fact that like you can just straight up give a wrong answer in several side quests because there's like they almost all of them have branching paths and. A lot, like no, not all of them, but a, a lot of them are branching paths, and some of them are pretty immoral choices, and they are valid choices that you can go with, like the uh, the that love potion analog quest. The love potion one's a big one. The drug quests, I'm think, I think there's branching paths in some of the drug quests. I don't know for sure. Um, yeah, like I'm not sure if there was Shulk, that. One. Shulk makes mistakes a lot. In case it's yeah. not clear. <laughs> yeah, like the only way to solve the love potion request is to not touch it at all. At least that's from my perspective. Yeah. <laughs> Just don't even bother accepting it. <laughs> yeah, like you, like some of the like some of the uh, some of the quests will go will end up bad no matter what you do unless you just keep your hands off. Like I will give the I will give the um I will give those people who say Shulk doesn't is a little bit too perfect. I'll give them a little bit of credit toward the end of the game after he like is revived. He does tend to kind of like have a very strong sense of self and kind of like knows exactly what to do. Um, and I'll, I'll give them that, but it still works and it's still awesome. And do you really have to complain after a freaking eighty-hour journey of right. constant trials right. and tribulations? Yeah, yeah, it would make sense for him to be quote unquote perfect when you're literally right at the end of the game, and yeah, I mean, that's kind of the whole point like, of an arc, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah even at the yeah, end, yeah, it's just one of those things. Even at the end, there's no need to worry about the story breaking power trope because there's no story left to break. <laughs> yeah, you could like the stakes are constantly being. I I actually I I just in general in Xenoblade One the stakes are constantly being raised. Like when they just don't need a villain, they just kill him off for no reason. <laughs> With Metal Face being the prime example of they kill him off at the midpoint because he's not threatening enough, and and that he's not the point anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad we uh, spoke about that because that is something that I do see quite a bit whenever I like go on forums and uh, see Shulk discussions. Mm. He, yeah, and as we mentioned before, he's very, very often being driven by rage. Yeah, I probably would have done a lot of the same stuff he did if I were in his shoes. Mm-hmm. Mm. Granted, like I don't he know is, if I... He, 
I don't know if I'd be able to climb a a moving a moving war tank and try to stab it in the face. I mean, like he is like Shulk is still like definitely like a dork out like outside of like the cutscenes and stuff like that. Uh-huh. I mean, like anyone who is afraid of caterpillars, I think needs to be talked to. <laughs> uh, I also have a fear of bugs, but not caterpillars. It's more like roaches and spiders. <laughs> no, it's no Shulk is explicitly afraid of caterpillars because Ryan snuck one into his sock drawer. Gee, thanks, Ryan. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in the heart hearts that just makes me laugh so hard. Like, uh, like apparent. I'm looking at this the wiki. Apparently, uh, Dunvan uh, once said that uh, Shulk doesn't eat a healthy diet because he dislikes vegetables. <laughs> that is just like the most like because like he is 18 year old. He is 18, right? Like that's his canonical right. age. Yeah. That is the most yeah. like teenagery thing I've ever heard. <laughs> that's the most pre-teenage thing I've ever heard. It's pretty pre-teen, but it's also like. It's also like that age, like the the age of like tw- like twelve to eighteen is like yeah, that's a very common. Th- that's a that's especially for like a kind of like geeky shut in who kind of just like only cares about like mechanical stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And and, and speaking of the vegetable things, like I believe it's also mentioned that um he only puts up with them when Fiora makes them, mm-hmm. because, like, he couldn't bring himself to say he didn't like them. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. We got a, we got an Aragorn here, in terms of cooking. <laughs> Wait, Aragorn? Although, uh, Lord what's, what's actually... Wait. Oh, what's I'm actually about- wiki, too, and I did, I did not notice this. Hold on. I actually... Wow, I completely missed this. So, in Blade 2... His favorite pouch item category is veggies. Really? Oh, what? I completely missed this. That is hilarious. Oh, that's that right. is that's character right. development. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess you. This boy. Yeah, grew that's up. because, as from what I've heard, the Shulk and Fuhrer that appear in XC two are from after the story ended. Yes, it's canonically outside the story ending, which shouldn't make sense because of how yeah. the story of XC two is laid out. Which leads me to believe that the Zohar has access to time travel, but we're not going into that right now. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, that is yeah. That, that's a big old. You mean the conduit can of worms right there? Maybe that could be another episode of uh, Zeno theories, and then a certain someone can can cope. I've told you before. I want to do a Zeno metaphysics uh, ch- uh, episode because there's some really interesting stuff there, like how exactly the telling the future thing works. Because it has a for some reason extremely explicit reason for why it works. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Like a either that, that, slow, either the vegetable slow, thing. That's gonna, be, that's gonna be a fun episode. <laughs> oh gosh! Yeah, <laughs> the vegetable things is that that's hilarious. I love that. That's great. Yeah, I didn't know that until just now. That is so I wonder, funny. I wonder if he yeah. says like because I know sometimes people will say like specific things when they get their favorite item. I wonder what he says. For that. Oh yeah, what's his dialogue for uh, getting the pouch items? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that'd be that would be interesting. I don't know. Uh, it doesn't say it on here. His fa- yeah. his favorite item is the Adam Super Cake, so that's interesting. And the Ardanian, huh. and the Ardanian Arms album, which is very Shulk like. He like I mean, yeah, yeah. So the Amber Cakes it makes sense. Wait, the Adam Cakes that Adam never actually ate 
Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. Oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> heart to heart. Yeah, and his field skills make sense too. Salvaging mastery, uh, keen eye, and ancient wisdom. Mm-hmm. Actually, in Xenoblade Chronicles 2, like, he doesn't have a lot of, like, story scene, like, uh, cutscene scenes and stuff like that for, like, side quests, but oh, sure. in general, from what I've seen, he tends to play more of, like, a mentor role in that, because obviously, like, Rex is, like, what, like, 15, 14, kind of? Yeah. Like, he, yeah. he's, like, Shulk is, like, presumably 19-ish and that at that point, because it's after the end of mm-hmm. Xenoblade 1, and presumably a while after the end of Xenoblade 1, because they're, like, they're very accustomed to kind of how things are. Um, uh, so I'm gonna bet, I'm gonna get bet he's, like, 19 or probably something like that. He plays, like, kind of interesting mentor role, which I, I find interesting. I think it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, I, at least I would expect Shulk, after the end of Xenoblade 1, um, to have matured a lot and to have kind of taken the best traits out of Dixon and, um, Dunban and kind of just, you know, kind of just, uh, forge his own path and really really become somebody admirable, especially since he's literally given the power of a god and he rejects it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Another, another thing, oh, though, oh. is that, like... What, no, you go. Sorry. Um, oh, sorry. Go for uh, it. Okay. So, funny you should mention Dunban. Uh, I forgot to bring this up earlier, but uh, my Chinese birth, birth year was the year of the war. And I remember you guys saying that Dunban was called a boar in the Japanese version, right? Yeah, nickname. Yeah, nickname, so our, nickname or I don't remember if it would... Would that be Dixon's nickname? Oh, go on. Him? Yeah, Dixon's. Uh, I can't remember that, or if it was Mumcar. It might have been Dixon. No, I don't I, think well, Mumcar said that. Dixon calls him, in the English version at least, I know Dixon calls him a beast. Yes. Um, so, mm. so I th- I can imagine that being like boar in Japanese, probably. Yeah, but that, that's kind of cool. Um... On the like on the subject of like how Shulk is like matured at the end of the game, the entire game is basic like like the entire game is like obviously to tell a story between like the humans and the Mechon, but it's also mm-hmm. like above all else, like Shulk kind of like dictates the genre. It's interesting. Shulk dictates the genre of Xenoblade One. So at first it's a revenge story, and then it becomes a rescue story, and then by the end of it it's like save the world. But like if you take a step back at the end and like view it all, it's kind of like a it's an enlightenment story for him, really. Like, it's a, it's like a path to, like, I mean, it's like, again, this is kind of like hero's journey stuff, like, finding a new status quo. <laughs> but this is like, Shulk, like, finding his, like, meaning to life and all that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I think it were like, especially at the end of the credits, you probably feel that a lot. Um, especially as he's, like, he's declaring to the universe, like, his, like, his true inner thoughts and all that. Um, see, I'm trying to think what else we could talk about. <laughs> uh, his relationships to other characters. Yeah, I feel like that's pretty good. Speaking yeah. of which, I think we skipped over this earlier, but what about his connections between him, Faye from Xenogears, and Shion Uzuki from Xenosaga? I mean... There's not really a whole lot to say about any of them. But I... At least, like... Going back to that... Does anybody else have something to say about, like, how he would relate to yeah, other just, characters? I, don't, well, I mean... Going back to that quote from Takahashi, mm-hmm. uh, I find it interesting that they explicitly made a character 
who wouldn't be hated years after Shion Uzuki, who has had a lot of people hate her. And for yeah. and from what Don't I heard, there's like she like betrayed her companions at some point. That that yeah, that does happen. Uh, I yeah, I'm thinking maybe that's unfortunately there were people that were kind of uh disappointed in Xion's character and I don't know if I've heard much hate about Faye's character too yeah. much but he I mean he's a square Enix protagonist. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. I think what it really comes down to is that um and we had mentioned this in the Xion episode mm-hmm. is that Xion was kind of a very different character to be put in this kind of environment. You couldn't put her in a box, she was very right? very morally gray. She she doesn't always make the right decisions. And in a sense, that almost made her realistic in the sense that, like, you have people who are very conflicting. Um, you don't always have, like, a uh, a set in stone opinion of her. She There's a lot to her character. It's not just, oh, mm-hmm. she's just the smart scientist that worked on Cosmos and that's just who she is. It's, she's that. She has all these other emotions. She has these things with Kevin. Um, there's the way how she treats her other crew members and the other party members. There's her confronting her own past. Um, her relationship to the Gnosis, which you find out uh, later on. And There's a lot of other aspects of Shion's character. And I think for a lot of people, that may have rubbed them the wrong way because you kind of just get a lot all at once with her. Mm-hmm. And it isn't always easy to formulate your opinion. At least for me, or mm-hmm. for a long time, I always felt like uh, conflicted about Shion. But at the same time, I've grown to appreciate the fact that I'm conflicted about her because there's a lot for me to think about when it comes to Shion. It's a different kind of character, and I think for a lot of people, they weren't quite ready to handle that. So with Shulk, they decided to t- dial it back a little bit, so to speak. Uh, gives it that's a little bit easier to digest on the player. And I guess that's what they mean when they say they wanted a character that everybody could like because it, Shulk isn't as quote-unquote complex in the sense that he's not always going through the same wide range of emotions as Shion was. And I, I guess thinking back on like Faye as well, he, he he is another character that has a lot to take in. I mean, he does make some bad decisions as well, or actions that he doesn't necessarily mean to do that leads to chaos and destruction. But he also has a a lot of complexity, like right, a, yeah, a super amount yeah. of complexity I to mean, him think of it as this well. Way, like not even that that far into Xenogears, Faye unintentionally destroys the yeah. village. Exactly. He destroys a what now? I can't, I can't a village. Oh. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and what's even funnier about that is, well, it's not really funny, but the thing with that is he that kind of haunts him, so he kind of, like, represses that for a bit, and then he gets to, um, he gets to that tournament, and then he fights the dude who throws the wedding dress at him. <laughs> Wait, What? <laughs> I remember using that. I, that wedding dress was a piece of equipment, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which I didn't know you could get because I would start beating the crap out of that kid back yeah. when I first played I it. I, so I was like, oh no. I think I did get the wedding dress. 
I have so many questions about like, this part. <laughs> you need to play it. It's awesome. There's a lot of content. Yeah, um, but actually, like, the, I feel like uh, Faye and Shulk is like a more fair comparison than Shion and Shulk. Um, not in like uh-huh. terms of, like their personalities or anything like that, but like they each have things, I guess, in their past that like kind of keep them from being whole. I guess is the best I would say. Like, I mean, phase is pretty obvious, but um, Shulk's is obviously the fact that there is literally another being living inside him the entire game. <laughs> yeah, um, in that sense, uh, I-, I can agree with that. Although you can also say that uh, Shion also has something in her past that was taken from her. That is keeping her from being whole too. True. Oh yeah. 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 Um, but actually, I, but, that kind of like does like. Did you? Sorry, do you want to say something? But that's about as far as commonalities go. Uh, it's it's weird. Like the overall plot of Xenogears and Xenoblade One. Like there are parallels. Like pretty. Like generally, there's there's a lot of minutia there that's very different. Um. Mm. But, uh, like, the general feeling is kind of similar, but, uh, yeah, I, I guess that's all I can say. Um, uh, actually, I do, but the whole, like, having another being living inside him, I do actually want to talk about, uh, we were talking about, like, going into character relationships. The one I find most interesting, really, is, it's, like, actually one I've actually heard complaints about, is the relationship mm-hmm. between Shulk and Zanza. And here's the complaint that I mostly get. The complaint I hear, uh, I've heard it a couple times, um, is uh, Shulk and Zanza don't have a personal, like, grudge against each other. They're, like, it's like, it's more like of a traditional good versus evil uh, battle than a personal one. Especially coming off of uh, the the events of the McConnell's Core, where they look basically exactly the same and they have the same voice actor. People thought, like, I know a couple of people, like, I know specifically one person on YouTube says, like, she wanted, uh, she wanted there to be more of a, uh, like a, like a, a uh, like a grudge between the two, I guess. Um, so, like, there's, so, like, they feel that there's no way between, away from the fact that Zenza's been living through and influencing Shulk for all this time? Uh, towards the end, basically, yeah, like, the very last battle. In like there, although there's like a ten minute conversation, um, but before that actual fight begins, it's like the way the the conversation plays out is that it's more like in uh like a, almost like a like a like a, I guess I best call it a prosecution against everything that Zanza has done, than an actual like personal like revenge plot against Shul uh the, against Zanza versus like Shulk versus Zanza, because, but hasn't um, but hasn't Shulk outgrown grown past the need for revenge? At this point, and that's my that that's something I thought was pretty big, and I feel like Shulk also got a, a lot of ooh, we can actually talk about that later, but um, um, the a lot of closure with his battle against Dixon, um, uh, but I, I but like my thoughts on it, like I agree, the revenge is a need, but like my thoughts on the relationship between Shulk and Zanza is super interesting because it's both symbiotic and uh also completely like repellent. Right, where not parasitic. Yeah, uh, not I. I wouldn't say parasitic, but my like my point is, Shulk would not get to where he is. Like he just c- straight up couldn't wield the Minato without, uh, without Zanza being there because that's explicitly how it's stated. It's the fact that Shulk is just a host and Zanza is like providing the life force and thus like kind of like the 
the blueprint that the uh oh not the blue the, the fingerprint that the Monado needs to work basically I guess is the best way I could describe it in layman's terms the godly um, biometric basically um uh but um and but and then like by contrast Shulk is also like the host for Zanza to like live off of and sustain because I do find it interesting that the gods of Xenoblade aren't immortal that they need like soul force basically to live um. Uh, but I just, like, the way that they, they interact with each other, um, from the, specific, like, I'm specifically thinking, like, the dream that Shulk has in the beach, where he is, uh, he's, like, imagining that he's, like, on a, on a beach with, reaching out for an odd, like, a Monado-shaped piece of scrap metal, and then he falls to the ground, and it's another Shulk that looks, like, above him, but that's later revealed to be the Spirit oh, of Zanza. Oh, actually, I thought that was the first place we play as... I thought that was the place we first find Shulk in the game, the place where he was looking through scrap metal. I thought it was that mm-hmm. part. No, I'm talking about like when he's like, um, he's on the beach and he's dreaming of himself yes. as a kid. Yeah, and the dream is place is based on on the first on that first area. Kind of, but it's also it will like it's meant to like story wise, it's meant to portray when Zanza like took over his body. But, yeah. Um, Dixon, I think, is a really uh, important relationship for Shulk. Uh, Specifically specifically because although Dixon is the betraying uh, one that we all know and hate, uh, his actions towards Shulk actually are not hateful at all, like, throughout the entire game. Yeah. Yeah. I think we we touched on this briefly in a previous um, podcast where Actually, there might have been the might have been the love episode, which isn't up yet. But <laughs> but like, uh, yeah, I, I remember I was having a conversation that like Dixon and Sh- was never truly that hostile towards Shulk. Yeah, he explicitly said he felt bad about deceiving those kids, and mm-hmm. then he just tried to play it off as him mumbling to himself when Thorin overheard that. But there's more than just that, like. I think, like, especially telling is how he acts towards the end of the game. So let's see. Number one, he provides teleport points to get to Zanza. Like, I feel like that's a pretty... Like, that is. <laughs> like, like, all the teleport points look the same in, like, towards that the final chapter of the game, and they're all provided by Dixon. And the way I've always interpreted that is that it's Dixon, like, having to oblige his kind, like, half of the contract... Because, alright, he's raised Shulk for 14 years, because Shulk was like 3 or 4 when he when his parents died, so he's Dixon's been wearing Shulk. Mm-hmm. It's impossible for anyone not to, like, unless you're being, like, an absolute jerk to them, it's impossible for anyone not to have some kind of attachment to them. And in this case, Dixon manifested that in a teacher-student relationship. Um, which is, uh, implied at like, the beginning of the game, where Shulk's saying, like, I just did what you did, I've learned from you. Um, and then the very end of the game, like, although Dixon is, like, trying to be acting all evil and stuff like that, saying, like, he's, like, Lord Zan's disciple who, uh, believes in his ideals, he doesn't actually, like, have a real reason to fight Shulk, and, uh, like, the way he's fighting, it's almost like he's trying to test him to make sure that he is able to fight Zanza, almost like he's saying that, like, I'm doing this because I have to, but I want you to win, kind of, in a, right. in a way, and then, like, his, mm-hmm. his death, obviously, is a big one where he just refuses to let Shulk see him die. Partially for the satisfaction, but I'm also willing to bet partially for, like, you know, Shulk's the one who laid the... who 
who uh, laid the the mortal blow, and uh, he doesn't want him to like see that like this person right. who's like raised him for so long. Uh, and the, I, I was just thinking about that, like um, that he probably doesn't want Shulk to keep living his life knowing that he's the one who killed him. Although it's it Shulk knew exactly what happened because he's crying. Over yeah. some very well edited music, um, like it's like you can only get it through his uh, his facial expressions, but it's very clear that 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 like although he was like putting on definitely trying to put on a brave face for the sake of like the team, it like it's tearing him up inside. Um, and I I think that in the end, like Dixon, like he's definitely like a villain, and you can definitely tell like why he's like that. But he also like he's almost like a like I, there's a, there's actually quite a few characters that I can think of that'd be like uh con like con, like a comparative com, uh, comparable in other games and like media and stuff like that that are like there's there's two sides to them there's the sides of them that's genuinely evil and hates the person for who they are but then there's the other person who if they had if there was sli- something slightly different they could have been uh have a, had a very healthy good relationship I guess genuine respect. Exactly. And, like, I think that's something that Dixon and Shulk never lose, is that they have a genuine respect for each other, always. That's uh, that's one of the stronger uh, character relationships in the game, I actually feel. Like, although it's, like, super subdued, I it's like, Dixon does all this, and although, like, he like he claims at the end, like, he's helping Zanza's host, but, like, why would Dixon give him advice in Satora Marsh about, like, um, like how he fe- like how he thinks, and he, although he does give like weird advice in uh the uh, in the fallen hand about how the quote unquote eagle guy gets under his skin, uh, he does like he is trying to provide some kind of fatherly advice to what should basically just be a husk, right? Uh-huh. And he's like he's acknowledging Shulk's individuality that way. I don't know, I feel like that's one of the stronger examples of, like, a conflicting villain in the series, for sure. That, he's a better liar than than the Joker. And I don't buy that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he's deceived everybody for hundreds of years, thousands of years, at at least. What's Mm -hmm. a few more? Yeah, exactly. Like, you, you, like, that's that's a good point. Like, you would think that he's gone so many thousands, like, he, there's something genuine there, right? He, he, like, Dixon is, like, he's, he's obviously, like, a giant, uh, like, um, biologically, but he's describing himself as a human, as a Homs. But, yeah. uh, like, he probably had to, like, learn how to take care of a kid, and feed him, and teach him, like, life skills, and although he had mm-hmm. people like Dunban to help him with that, who, ha- like, Dunban had to raise Fiora, basically, all on his own, it's, like, it was something that was, like, there. Plus, it's thanks to Dixon that Shulk learned how, how to make Ryan a scrap driver. Yeah, I mean, and, and like Dixon, like he's he jokes around with Ryan. Like I d- wouldn't call that fake. There's a like there there's a lot you could say about Dixon, but I would not call him mm-hmm. fake. I would call him a traitor, but I wouldn't call him fake. I don't know. That's I I just find that I just I find that duel in uh like. Like Shulk basically changes. Like Shulk has a weird, has an interesting ability to kind of like change the minds of whoever he meets, except for Mumkar. Uh, but he's basically uh-huh. too far. Off. He's too far off the deep end. But like Zord at the end, kind of like has like a respect for him, as I already mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Fiora 
like, and Mayneth completely, like, regain their, uh, who they are. Agil changes at the end. Yeah, I was gonna say Agil. Yeah, um, uh, Lorth. Melia. Yeah, Melia. That's another big one. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, to a lesser extent, you could argue that, uh, well, it's not a, a directly influenced by Shulk, but you could argue that Zanza is slightly just because of what, uh, what, uh, Xenoblade 2 does for his character. Making the bad half to Klaus's good half? Yeah, but yeah, so Klaus, like, Klaus is obviously, like, the good half, but he can, but Klaus has, like, this weird ability to tell on what's going on in the other half of the world. Um, I don't know. I just find that interesting. Okay, so... That might be a stretch. That, that might be a little bit of a stretch, though. <laughs> so, okay, so that covers the big bad, and that covers a side character turned traitor. Now, what about his actual companions? Well, I mean, let's see. I'll be honest. Charlotte doesn't have that much going for her in terms of like how she interacts with Shulk. She's like kind of like the like she's like the big sister of the group, but she doesn't like mm-hmm. she doesn't really do much beyond that. Like and combat medic. Yeah, I mean, like she does a lot for like Ryan's character and Melia's character, um, but not really for Shulk or Dunbans or anything like that. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. that's actually um, something that unfortunately um, Charlotte kind of gets shafted mm-hmm. and. At least in comparison to the rest of the cast in that game. Because there's a lot of things, like, I mentioned this in the Melly episode as well, how it seemed like Charla was trying to push Melia to open up to Shulk and really tell him how she feels about him. And he kind of doesn't really go any further than that one scene mm. where uh, Shulk was leaving. Ugh. And, yeah. And That's rough. That- yeah, I said before that that's like probably one of the most soul-crushing scenes in that entire game because of what Sharla says to Melia. It was something along oh, the lines yeah. of like, you know, if you don't go after him, he's going to forget about you or something like that. I forgot what the actual line was. Yeah. And I guess, I yeah, guess... Go, the, sorry, go. I guess the part that... The scene that changed Charla's mind in the end was when they first meet with Mecha Fiora in the flesh. At the fallen hand, mm-hmm. and well, they never really bring it up, but it's implied that Sharla has realized that there's no breaking the bond between Shulk and Fiora. Yeah, Sharla kind of just stays out of it, honestly. Um, yeah, though, I, actually, a character I do want to bring up in terms of, like the relationship is actually Ricky. So. Huh. Ricky is interesting because he is like the jokester, but also the father of the of the cast. Yes. So he is such a dad. Yeah. So Ricky well, has like Ricky has this has this weird trait in Xenoblade One in that all his character development is in heart to hearts. Um, the big heart to heart that I'm thinking of is the one on the fallen arm. Uh, on the uh the like I think it's the, the I can't remember the exact the radiocarpia tip or something I can't remember it's the one that has like the the huge view over the entire hand and it's a conversation between Shulk and Ricky. Basically, the the, the crux of that boils down to what it's like to live out without like without a traditional family, and it ends with Ricky saying, "Shulk, come to come live with Ricky's family. You can be one of ours." <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> oh, that's adorable. That was really sweet of it. <laughs> Yeah, it's a really good scene. Um, yeah, he's a good father figure to, like, Melia as well. Honestly, Ricky is underrated. Agreed. He was actually my favorite he's character a- in the game for a very long time. Me too, me too. 
uh, again, because uh, I keep talking about Melia stuff, uh, one of my favorite scenes of the entire game was um, that scene where uh, Melia's brother dies and Ricky, he had that one line where he says, like, like Ricky here, bird person. Mm-hmm. And he, though, like, Ricky doesn't see him, but he hears him. He's the only one. And yeah, that was actually adorable. And it's honestly one of my favorite scenes of that game. Yeah. But, like, even more than that, Ricky just, like, how is he this wise? Like, so, the the one that I always remember, and I feel like everyone always remembers this, that, like, this is the one that's like, holy crap, Xenoblade is awesome, uh, oh. is the scene on the beach with Dunban and Melia, where Melia is sleeping, and Ricky's basically giving, like, fatherly advice to Dunban. Like, oh, before that, ba- before that, he, he faked being very tired so that Melia could get some sleep. Yeah, that's, that's she- the first thing. And then the second thing is he 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 tells Dunman that he's been like he's basically been watching how Shulk and Fiora like interact in like through just the battle scenes, and like he can intuitively tell that things are going to work out with them, and that and that Dun and that Dunman is like just as a fa- like as like the like the surrogate father for the two just uh uh that you just he just needs to watch over them like he's so in tune with like how his party members feel especially Shulk uh, um and everyone like I feel like. Ricky's probably, like, the only other person except for Ryan who can, like, read Shulk's inner thoughts, probably. Um, he just... So... He knows. So, I'm actually looking at the, the wiki right now, and apparently... I don't think I've ever heard this line, but apparently one of Shulk's lines towards Ricky is, Teach us, hero pawn Ricky. Oh, yeah, I've heard that a lot. Yeah, no, that's that's one of his battle quotes. It's, I remember that one. It's, it's a great line. I always, um, Shulk and Ricky in the same party are actually extremely, like, compatible because Ricky plays a lot of, like, tank and status effect, uh, player, and Shulk is, like, heavy DPS but also some status effects, so they have, they do some really interesting, uh, playoff with each other. Yeah, um, Shulk has to play off with the tank to keep mm-hmm. the aggro off him. Yeah, but they both have, like, yeah, but then they both have incredible amounts of status effects, like, um, well, Shulk has the pot, like, Shulk has all the buffs, and Ricky has a lot right. of the debuffs and the status effects and stuff like that. And the, uh, directional attacks. Like, backslash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That can, there's no but way you I'm can think- pull that off on your own. Yeah, well, I'm thinking more like, uh, like, how, like, it's, it's, like, it's a great, it's a great feeling of having, like, backslash into Say Sorry. <laughs> I love Say Sorry so much. That's, that's Say Sorry is the uh, the attack that um it does more damage uh depending on how many like stats effects the enemy has, whether it be like poison or mm. bind or anything like that. And then you're telling them to say sorry. No, oh. it's you know. So the way it works is you inflict the enemy with a bunch of stats effects, and then you have like in a chain attack have Ricky do Say Sorry. It removes all the stats effects, but it multiplies the damage. I think. Oh, mm. nice. Oh, okay. It's very powerful. I guess I gotta try that the next time I pick up XC3D. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a you don't get say sorry until like uh, like halfway through the game, but it's a worthwhile setup. Mm-hmm. But we're the silly ones, indeed. Not just indeed. in battle too. Mm-hmm. I'm like actually, I do kind of want to go back and look through the 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 Shulk battle codes, especially like the the Trinity. Battle quotes because there's some mm-hmm. real interesting ones. I mean, like the one that everyone rem- I I always remember is the uh, the one between Fiora, Shulk, and Melia, um, which is like it's basically like them getting on his case about how he like, um, like it's 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 I don't know I don't remember exactly what it says, but it's basically them getting on his case about uh 
how he's not necessarily stronger than them. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going through it on sale. Um, this is a s- small thing. Um, like, uh, kind of going back to his like brotherly co- or his connection with Dunban, and how Dunban, I guess, I guess he comes off as more of a not necessarily a, a brotherly figure, but more of a father figure. I always just kind of was interesting how, like, you get you get all of these tropes where you'll have an uh, older brother and a younger sister, and he's like, "You can't touch, you can't touch my younger sister." But in this, but in Zinoblade's case, Dunman's like, "Yeah, he just wa- he's like ship him, I, ship I, him." I, I could, yeah, he just ships <laughs> Fiora or yeah, Fiora with Shulk, and it's it, it was very interesting. Um, actually, yeah, he's Dunman not the. Yeah, Dunman's not the stereotypical overprotective big brother that you see in anime and in manga. Right. Uh, and that's refreshing. Like, yeah. I also find mm-hmm. that uh, it's a real, what's really interesting is that Dunban and Shulk have, like, the, of course, also have, like, a very, like, kind of master teacher, uh, master student relationship. Mm. But Dunban mm. is, like, struggling to, like, Dunban's, like, often seem like he's, like, he's worried that he's not going to, like, live up to, like, what Ryan and Shulk need in, like, a, like a master figure, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, he, like, yeah, it's like we're like Dunban talks to like Ricky or I think he talks to Charlotte Melly about it in Heart to Hearts, too. But like he like he's like concerned about like how he, he wants to be like the strong figure that Shulk and Ryan can look up to because that's how it's always been. But now that they're on the same journey, he has to like exude like a masterful presence all the time. And that's he what I, I've always game. found that interesting, especially especially since Shulk is like growing ex- exponentially with the Monado, like in terms of his and like, that he's wielding the Monado at all. Yeah. Yeah, until the attack on Colony Nine, they, Dunman was the only one who could handle it, and even then, barely. Mm-hmm. On the by contrast, Shulk doesn't suffer doesn't start suffering the same uh, downsides as as Dunman did until they get closer to the core of the Mechanis. Mm-hmm. Like there are just times when just Dunman just doesn't know what to do. Like the like the Mechanis core is like of course the big one, so. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. There's actually a really funny um, victory quote between Shulk, Dunban, and Fiora, where <laughs> Shulk says he wished he had a brother or sister. Oh yes. Like, yeah, oh no. A brother or sister. You guys look like a real family. And then <laughs> Fiora calls him. She says, "Well, you're basically like our baby brother." <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I be careful what you wish for, man. Yeah, like, yeah. the line was, like, I remember the way Fiora says it is, like, the best. She says, like, a really mocking touch. She's like, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, let's see. Ryan, I think, is, like, the big hit that we still have to, like, touch on, unless you guys want to go back to, t- I know you guys did a Melee episode, but, uh. I think Ryan, we should probably talk about in that. Yeah, about we, we've spoken about Melia enough. I keep bringing her up in this episode, so it's okay. She is yeah, best girl. I, it, it's should. understandable. <laughs> I okay. I so, guess I yeah, no go. Yeah, uh, but I guess I didn't really get to talk about that part much. Uh, I find it interesting that Melia is the princess of an empire. She's she could have almost anything that she wants, despite her. Uh, the prejudice against her, and yet she doesn't really get the guy, so to speak. Yeah. And in the end, she 
she does the mature thing and bows out. Melia's mm-hmm. kind of like has like a really, Melia's like personal arc has kind of like a, it's just in general she's a tragic character. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do, I do actually want to talk about Ryan though. Um, mm-hmm. Go ahead. So, at the beginning, he's obviously like the protective type. Like he's like the the meat wall that protects Shulk's brain, basically. Um, <laughs> uh, That's a good way to put it. It's accurate. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then, as like the as of course the this the the game goes on, it's like he's more of like an emotional support that Shulk has never like known that he needed, but he needs it now. So the first example is the Ether Mine, where like Ryan's like pushing him, it's like. You all right? That's it. Whenever you're having a vision, you are forced to tell us you have no choice, um, which is actually um, which actually helps the game's pacing a lot because if everyone's in the dark and only Shulk knows, I mean that's just kind of like the 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 um, the storytelling gets old fast. But it that actually, doesn't sound like Ryan. But yeah, no, like, but it, it, it but Ryan does say it though. Um, yeah, he you gotta tell us, otherwise, yeah, we don't know what to do. And then, uh, there's, of course, the really, like, reflective scene with Ryan on the beach, where he's saying that, how he's so, like, he, he fears that Shulk is gonna outgrow him, and that he, that Shulk isn't gonna need him anymore. Um, and when Charlie basically says, well, he still, like, has weak points, right? Protect those. And so, Ryan's like, I got your back, basically, saying, like, mm. we're, we're, like, we're equals now. You, I don't need to protect you, but we're, we still need each other. Um, well, yeah, yeah that's, and that's also part of, uh, like, the reason why he wants him to, to like, tell about the visions. is like, he don't, doesn't want Shulk to take the whole burden on himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's see, I'm trying to think what else uh, is there for Ryan. Um, I don't, like, I feel like they, it's like, it's also, like, they help each other. I feel like Ryan actually gets quite a bit smarter. Like, not, like, intelligent smarter, but, like, emotionally smarter. He Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. he grows, he, like, he really understands a lot, and although he's still, like, definitely a goofball, uh, we could talk about, like, right. oh, yes. Ryan and the button, and, uh, we could talk, we could talk about, like, the button and the, uh, the scene where frickin', um, like, like, they're, they're basically, like, joking with each other about how Melly hates them, and the, when they first meet, when they first, first meet her in the forest, and, like, yes, they're, You're like, scaring this girl off. Yeah. This large one is far worse. Oi! Yeah, they're basically just like they're they're going at each other, and it's the freaking funniest thing. Um, and then all the way at the end with the melancholy Tyrea quest, it's mm. Ryan who backs Melia up against Tyrea. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think that Ryan um, he kind of know- much like how Shulk is learning more about the world. Ryan is also doing the same thing, I f- and he's gradually learning that. He needs to step up. I feel like, and that the stakes are higher than what he thought. I feel like for Ryan, it's a lot less of um, it's a lot less. I'm adding stuff to my my in, my intelligence, like Shulk, and it's more like I need to rebuild what I already have. Like I feel like, yeah, Ryan is like, for like real world wise, he knows like infinitely way more than Shulk at the beginning, and so he doesn't really have much more to grow in like that regard. But what he does need to do is how he rebuilds that and changes that, and that's what Shulk does for him. Yeah, I, I could see that. Mm-hmm. For sure. And especially, like, once they meet Sharla and Jujo, mm-hmm. um, I feel like that really set that emotion. Yeah. That re- that really helps um, 
that 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 uh, the whole Charlotte arc really helps Ryan out a lot, especially. I'm trying to think what what else is there. I got actually start looking at heart to hearts at this point because there's some there's some really good stuff, but it's all in, Fiora. It's yeah. all in heart to hearts. Yeah, I. That's like one of the unfortunate things about um, Blade One is that there's actually a lot of really good character development, especially for like. Uh, here we go again, especially for Melia. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of good stuff in there. Um, but it's only seen in the heart to hearts, and those aren't always easy to get in Xenoblade. Oh, no. Oh, God, yeah. Unfortunately. Backtracking. So there's a lot of people who completely missed a lot of heart to hearts. Heck, the, my first playthrough, I missed a lot of them, too. Same. I, I don't think I did. I'm scr- I'm sc- I, I got I got I got most of them. I'm scrolling through this again, and I just remember that there, are, like, what I, something kind of interesting is that, um, all of, like, I'm just suddenly remembering that Shulk's and uh, Dunban's heart to hearts are all based around like some stuff that they would they would like want to know in common. So basically, like the, mm-hmm. the one I'm thinking of is the Satoru Marsh one, where like they're they're discussing like the ether in the Satoru Marsh, which is something kind of out of Dunban's range. But then Dunban sent sent uh, something pretty practical that like anyone could ask: Would the ether ever run out? And then Shulk responds like super adamantly, like, "Good question. I've always wondered that." And then they get to a decent banter that isn't like super like far out um for any for any why uh anyone but it still like works between the two um there's the uh the the heart to heart at the uh the hot spring between shulk and ricky uh uh not the hot spring the the geyser in valak mountain where ricky oh, gets yeah. sucked up flying that's a pretty and then great shulk scene runs away for some reason yeah like why are you but, running yeah, I, probably cuz he's afraid of um him Collapse, uh, like falling from the sky <laughs> and landing on. Him. Uh, I just found the uh, the the max the max heart to heart between Shulk and Ryan. It's in Colony Six. Let's see, they're talking. I'm just I'm just looking here. It's it's basically a lot of them talking about like how like it's it's a reflection of like how far they've come, where they're ta- mm-hmm. they're thinking about like the the past and what they could have done differently. Yeah, this is the one. Like, yeah, this is the one got where, they were, where they can see the Makonis from where they are, right? Yeah, right. I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just like the first time on the knee. Yeah. Yeah. Shulk is just... It's really interesting because... I feel like as an... I feel like we should also talk about Shulk as an icon in terms of like what he means for the series. <laughs> exactly. He's... He's become quite the like the poster boy for the Xenoblade series, kind of. Yeah, and I don't think that's entirely like unjustified. I feel like he is like there is a very good reason for that, and like how mm-hmm. he's like he's in like they freaking added like as much as it bothers. Okay, so uh, I do have a slight issue with the fact that Shulk is available from Chapter Four in Xenoblade Chronicles Two because I feel like that should be either be. After like after you beat the game in chapter ten or is in New Game Plus or whatever because it kind of ruins one of the great twists like one of the great moments at the end of Xenoblade Two where yeah um, sh- yeah like, that doesn't I, sound like, like a like a good idea like I I I, pl- I beat the game within the first two weeks of release so yeah. I got the, and I think I got the pure experience I think that was a, yeah I think that was um <laughs> I think I think that's kind of what they intended they kind of because show came out pretty late and I think a lot of them figured. Oh, uh, hey, people beat the game already. Right. But yeah, I agree. Um, they probably shouldn't have made him available that early. 
especially for people who bought the game late. Yeah, because there there were a fair people. I know I know that Xenoblade, like Xenoblade's still selling. Like Xenoblade Two is still selling. Um. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I feel like it it kind of it and it will sell more with the uh, Switch Lite coming out. Um, with people who I hope it breaks that two mil mark. It's so close. It's so close. Dude. Oh, it is. It is. Um. It, I don't know. It's like that. That kind of like that bothers me just a little bit. And I'll, I'll, I know it's DLC, and I know it was released late, but still, like, yeah, that like I, I agree. Like, um, but like the he's the no, no, go for it. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, so please. No, sorry, I've been talking too much. <laughs> yeah, the only like the timing of the DLC would be a, a bit of a red flag for people. Like, you're not supposed to touch this. Yet, like I know, mm-hmm. I know we like we know you can. Maybe you shouldn't. Yeah. But yeah. I guess. Uh, but I guess, like back to what we were saying before. Um, what we really, I guess, like what really makes Shulk a good protagonist or a bad protagonist is how well does he complement the themes in both Xenoblade One. And also, just Xenoblade as a whole. So I guess it could help if we start establishing certain themes that we see throughout the series. Like, we already mentioned one of them, which was communication. Mm-hmm. That that was a big theme. And another big theme that I noticed in Xenoblade 1 in particular, 2 as well, is um, not accepting a certain fate. Like, you know things aren't looking the right way, but you can change it. Yeah, choosing to... Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can change the future. Yeah. You know? I feel like that's like I feel like that's the crux of like the philosophy of it. Like I like I my 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 favorite quote that I like to quote like uh, say is that Xenoblade like every every uh, every Xenoblade game at least should could be like characterized in a single quote. I don't remember what I said for X and two, but I what I do remember from one is that it's the uh, the very end of the game where he says like little by little each day as it comes that's how we should live. Um, mm-hmm. That's our that's our world. Um, where it's like you don't need yet, like you like it should be your choice, and that you should take the little steps, and it, you don't need to worry about like the big things in the future, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Comparing like if you, it's interesting comparing that like the entire reason why the journey starts is because it's an open world. It's an open world or it's a no, semi uh, open zone RPG. <laughs> um, uh, it's an open zone RPG where uh you're just freaking like with the end with a explicit end goal of getting revenge well at least that's at first um uh but and like shulk obviously like learns from that um so i feel like that's pretty big that's also really like those two kind of like go tie in with each other the whole like opposing fate yeah um let's see what what else also that that this was this whole fiasco was started because of one god's plans for everyone Mm mm-hmm Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think you can't control people. Isn't it? Yeah, I think that that's a pretty good one. Um, like fr- the whole free will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just a matter of you have, you should, or rather, you do have the ability to take control of your actions and take control of your life. Mm-hmm. And that's almost been a theme throughout all of Zeno in general, because. With Zenosaga, there was the Zarathustra, and defying fate that way, um, as well. Right, and that's always been the that's probably been the the single theme that's resonated with me the most. 
because, like I mentioned before, I was at a time in my life where I wasn't really liking the path I was heading, and this was a game mm-hmm. where I was just like, hey, you know what, Justin? You could turn this around. It's not too late. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's that's a theme that you see a lot. You also see that a lot in Blade 2 as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, all I feel like all the Xeno games are, they're all, like, different examples of commentary on the the human condition. Right, mm-hmm. uh, and like, I, I like, although like the explicitness of that is toned down for Xenoblade One and Two, I think it's very still strong in uh, in X, where like, especially towards the end, where they're like being like super critical and commentary based. Um, one and two, one and two, they're a little bit less of that, but it is still definitely there. Um, yeah, yeah. No. So human, yeah. <laughs> so they're they're all definitely explorations of the human condition, and I feel like the protagonists each do their own different way of, of exploring it. Um, to varying degrees of success, I would never say that any particular iteration of Xeno does it exactly perfectly, though I, um, I would say Shulk has a decent balance between Xenoblade 2's kind of, like, happy, happy, goody, goody, which is, although I like that, is, ha- like, mm-hmm. I know it has its detractors, and then there's, like, Faye's kind of, he's a Square Enix protagonist, <laughs> um, to, uh, uh, like, Xion's, like, kind of, like, very conflicted nature. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like Shulk is, like, an interesting, like, he doesn't really excel at any one of those, except for maybe the fact that he's, like, pretty optimistic. Um, Mm -hmm. but he has all of those aspects, and I feel like he does a decent job at uh, all those at some point in the game. Yeah, he's very much, um, a well-rounded character, which is kind of how I feel about, uh, XC1 as a whole, Mm -hmm. in regards to most of the Xeno series, is that it's pretty much kind of the jack of all trades just like very well rounded it doesn't mm-hmm. lean in one particular direction too much that, like the other ones do that's my favorite writing in the series that's for sure like it's it's really well like the like the it's paced and and written and plotted really well yeah i mean it was like the first time takahashi was able to like finish something without having to uh... And that's, that's that's actually one of the reasons why I love Xenoblade Chronicles 2 so much, is because it's, like, the first time that he was ever able to go beyond his initial vision. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Um, but I, I feel like he's, like, I, I do find it interesting. Um, something I've always found interesting is that, like, Shulk's, like, relation to the Monado, like, he's, he almost has, like, an over-reliance. Like, he's, like, he wouldn't call it an over-reliance on it, because he, he definitely triumphs mm-hmm. when he doesn't have it, but he grows with it, like, he unlocks shield when he needs it, he needs, he unlocks speed when he needs it. Uh, Alvis frickin' unlocks purge all by his own. Um. And we know why uh, that is. Yeah. Um, but, um, something I've always, li- something I've always liked, I, I wouldn't really call this is anything specific for Shulk, is that the fact that every Monado art that you unlock in the game is returned to Zanza, and he uses them all against you in the, the, the battle that you can't win in, uh, Mechanus Core. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, so he uses Monado's shield to become completely, inv- like, in, in the, the battle in Mechanus Core, uh, with, against, uh, Fjord Maineth, is uh, he uses Manado Shield to become completely invincible. Manado Buster does freaking inc- insane damage. Um, I think he uses Manado Speed at some point. I know he has Manado Purge. Not sure about armor. Um, uh, no, uh, no, he has Eater. Probably not. You, you, know, you have to get Manado Armor from a different location. And yeah, I'm pretty he, sure that's but I feel like the he story. Actually, 
I feel like he actually does have, let me, I'm looking this up, I believe he, even though if you don't get Eater during the side quests, you can, he still has it in his moveset. Um, uh, yes, he does. He does have, he has the, in the battle in, uh, Mechanos Core, he has Monado Buster, Monado Shield, uh, Monado Eater, Twin Break, and Monado Brave, which is something that we've never seen before. What is, as well as Aetherfield. Hmm. Monado Brave? Yeah, it's a status effect that grants you strength and ether up. So it's basically a altered version of, I guess, uh, I guess it's like a weird version of Minato Speed where it basically increases everything but agility. <laughs> so not <laughs> enchant. Yeah. Well, actually, maybe actually, yeah, I forgot enchant does give a slight damage buff. So probably it's like a and allows like, you to hurt Mechon at all. Right. Well. Yeah, that's that's another thing is that like the Monado and Shulk, like Shulk's kind of like he's he's the only one who can hurt Mechon for the first half of the game, right? And then you get the access to those anti-Mechon weapons for the other yeah. Oh, oh my gosh, Shulk is the Cosmos of the Xenoblade series. <laughs> yeah, I I that that's a fair assessment. <laughs> except he, except he was created with the unintentional purpose of killing Mechon and not. <laughs> Actually, that's debatable because he, Zanza doesn't have it him for the explicit purpose of destroying the Mechonis one day, so. <laughs> oh, crud, I forgot what I was going to say. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I... When you said Mudaro Brave, it also brought to mind another thing from Xenoblade 2 Malice's Mudaro Jail. Oh, yeah. If I recall I feel, correctly, I th- that seals your arts in that game. Uh, it seals it, it inflicts blade seal, which basically just infl- uh, seals your arts uh-huh. and the blade arts. Yeah. Um, let's see. I'm 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 just looking here. Well, I, I don't know if because we kind of delved a little bit into Shulk's legacy beyond the Xenoblade games, but. We haven't mentioned him in Super Smash Bros. yet. I feel like that's yep. like the elephant in the room. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, he's kind like, of like the one the, hand. I, he's kind of like Marth. Uh, yeah, of a sort. He, he yeah, he, he's, not really. Yeah, yeah, like I don't know. He, Marth introduced Fire oh. Emblem, but Shulk made Xenoblade more popular through Smash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, it's true. I like that he's in Smash Bros. Hot take, since everybody seems to be opposed to him in there for some reason. But um, I know that like he he was announced, and a lot of people are just like, "Who's this anime idiot?" <laughs> and I'm just like, "No, look, he's a cool character. He has a very unique fighting style. I like the idea of buffing. Actually, the thing that like the way Shulk plays." He's actually kind of like how I wanted Melia to play if she was ever in Smash Bros. or in a fighting game. I like the idea that you're selecting Monado yeah. cards, and then yeah. and then you're selecting your attack, you're buffing yourself for different attacks. I think that's such an interesting play style, and it does reflect the game that they're from. So in that sense, I think Shulk is a really cool play style, especially in Smash Four, uh, Smash Ultimate. He plays a little bit weird for my taste. He just has like a different feel. To yeah, uh, that's, be- Smash that's because in, uh, that's because Monado Jump got majorly changed, and that it affects ah. ev- it affects everything, including your fall speed. Which I think I, my understanding is that it affected that in Smash Four as well, but you just got like severe in Ultimate. So, 
Yeah. But what is funny in Ultimate, or at least I don't know if they patched it, but I've seen videos where you could basically monodal shield in your stun animation or something like that. So you could pretty much just like instant super armor out of attacks. I th- I, really? my understanding my understanding of that is that uh, I I believe that the monado the monado wheel is still available at uh, with um, on hit stun, but I'm not exactly I I don't know, I I've been playing other fighting games other than Smash Brothers, so I just haven't. Um, That's me right now. I am not playing Smash Bros. I'm like actually I'm actually very burnt out on it. It's not that I hate this games. It's just I want to play other games instead. I'm playing P4U too. So, um, uh, uh, but yeah. Otherwise, I do really like his fighting style. Um, I like the vision, the way that works. Yeah. How mm. you essentially mm-hmm. have two separate counters that you can do. I think that's such a cool uh, way of doing that. I like. I really like. I like how, how one backslash is implemented too. So. I like how backslash. Is, I like how the ca- only one of the counters. I I actually. I, I believe that's true. I believe only one of them can only be. Actually, no, I don't think that's that true anymore. I th- I thought for a second. Uh, one of them can only be used when it's you're on the ground. But no, it's as long as you're t- tilting the joystick at all, you'll yeah. get it. You, you can change um, which county you want to do, which I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I like his. His um, tilts are really, really good as well. Okay. He's very very combo-based. Very combo-based. And I know a lot of people in Smash 4, they complained about him because they couldn't read Japanese, quote-unquote. <laughs> they saw the, the Monado symbols and they're just, like, what is hard, this? You just hard memorize Wait a minute, wait a minute. Kind of like any other funny yeah. And there's colors, too, to make it easier to remember. Wait a minute. for Sonic Speed. <laughs> yeah, basically. Weren't these? Didn't they have the words above the above those kanji? Like smash, the smash kanji had this had the word smash above it. Yeah, yeah, I believe it's written out as well. But still, it's a tiny uh, text. Oh, um, yeah. I guess that makes sense. Um, but on on my per- on another note, as a Shulk main, I hardly ever use the Monado arts actually, primarily really? because I keep. Me- Putting them in at the wrong time, mm. so I feel like so I wind up using Monado's shield when I was actually just trying to get away from something. Mm. Uh, so I, I like so I rarely use them unless I have unless I have a chance to end the battle quickly or something. I feel like speed is one of the is a great one to have for mm-hmm. most of the time. Mm-hmm. Because you can really juggle people and get away very quickly. Speed is shield yeah. is fan- shield is fantastic when you're at high percentages. Oh yeah, because you just won't get knocked off. It's really fun. Um, I the like the Smash Four style that I always did was like speed for the beginning of the match because the knockback isn't going to be as high, so you can combo your easier. And then when you get your opponent around seventy percent, then you go to Buster, and then you try and kill yeah. with whatever you can. Um, I know, I, I love, uh, the Monado Purge, uh, 50-50 kill was, br- was awesome when I was able to pull it off. Like, it's, basically, it, it's, you have Monado jump, you grab someone, you up, you up them, uh, up grab them, and then you jump up to follow them, and you cancel Monado jump in the air, and then you do an, uh, do an up air, and it launches them off the screen at low percentages. It's great. <laughs> That's awesome. I'll, I'll I'll send videos of uh look at Paradigm and Erica. They're pretty good Shulk players, at least for Smash Four. I don't know if they do Ultimate. Um, yeah. they're Wait. very entertaining. Did I just um, hear Purge and Smash in the same sentence? Yes, it, it's it's a it's it's a it's a spoof on the fact that uh, Monado Jump is green and uh 
it, it, people just like to use call it purge because it's a good way. People also found out uh, they also found out a way to. Uh, it was in one of the Smash Four versions. They found out a way to extend Shulk's iframes, uh, the invincibility frames, so they call it Shadow Eye. Uh, oh. And um, there was another one called Vi- there was a thing called vision sliding where you could freaking slide across the entire stage when you visioned. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What are the what are the vision dodges? The vision counters allowed you to do that. Yeah, well, but it was it but, was more than just that. But it was yeah. like it was an exploit that let you freaking go like ninety miles an hour across the stage. Uh, let me let me pull it up. It's pretty great. Um, I think there was also some weird um, a vision jankiness with like Ike, where if you visioned Ike's sword during Ether, like the sword would go at a different speed than Ike or something like that. I remember messing around with it on the 3DS version, and just like the the physics for that were really were really weird. Mm-hmm. Really, I I never yeah it was a while ago that I, I never got around to doing that sort of thing. All right, yeah, um, but yeah. O- overall, um, I I personally like Shulk in Smash Four Ultimate. I don't play as him as much. But I like that he's there. I feel like we, I I also think, side, uh, side note. I feel like we'd be criminal if we didn't at least mention Monado art landing lag canceling. Where if you change your Monado art in midair, then it would uh, take out your landing lag. That's awesome. I wonder if Shulk would actually ever put this much thought into his fighting techniques if he had the chance. I don't know. It's mostly just game exploits. Um, I, d- yeah. I do like, uh, in general, I do like how he is represented in Smash Brothers. I do find his Smash 4 to be preferable to his Smash Ultimate, because although the, 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 the art wheel is cool, I just find him a better character. Like, I just find him more fun to play in Smash 4. Yeah, the, um, yeah, I find that part of the, part of the Ultimate version to be unwieldy. I think he's fine, and I think Monado Speed is great, at least for a starter, but he just doesn't, like, the, like, Monado Speed is great, and then the rest of the arts just don't feel as, like, as satisfying, I guess. No, Smash I mean, was the one that I felt like was the least useful to me. Uh, I actually used that one a lot. I didn't use, I used Jump for, like, recovery and for, like, jump was good for recovery, for recovery mm-hmm. and Air Slash kills, because surprisingly, the second hit of Air Slash is a lot of knockback for whatever reason. Um... And I used to actually use jump a lot more in Smash Ultimate, um, but I Smash was just like fun because you could get some really stupid stuff off <laughs> if you were if you were really risky enough. Yeah, I guess that's why I didn't play it because it is very much like high risk, high reward. Yeah, One thing I found interesting. Oh, sorry, go for it. And that's why I really use it. But uh, also, I find the wheel to be unwieldy, like, I'm okay with pressing the B button five times to get to Smash. I'm not okay with trying to get away from some, get away from a fighter and accidentally activate shield. Which is slower. Yeah. Well, yeah, as long as you okay. remember, as long as you don't mash through it, as long as you're actually, like, like, this is really for any yeah. fighting game, as long as you're, like, actually, like, measuring what button you're doing and not smashing, um, you'll be fine as... Yeah, I kind of like the yeah. The look at these smashes and specials are separate. Technically speaking. Yeah. Um. Let's. Yeah, that's a that's Shulk and Smash Bros. Um, actually, I also liked another appearance that he was in. I also liked that he was a Mario Maker. Hello. What'd you say? Sorry, you cut out for us. Sorry. 
I like the the Shulk cameo in Mario Maker, the first one. Yeah. Wait, wait, really? Oh yeah. yeah. I didn't yeah. know this. It's awesome. Yeah. If if you use the Shulk amiibo, you can unlock him. <gasps> he only like. Has... Do you play as him? Or... Yes. Yeah. He only has Japanese. Oh, that's. He only has Japanese voice clips, which sucks. But he's still. Cool. I mean, that's okay. But that's awesome. I made a Gower Plane stage and a, uh, <gasps> a uh, uh, and a um, uh, and a Tefra Cave stage using. Uh, nice. And I what I did was I put um, I put coins around the uh, I put coins in the Monado Kanji and then I put like a star in like a hidden block. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. Do, do, I gotta do, see. Do, a, do we know if? Sh- I, oh, go on. I wonder if anyone's made any Mechanists themed stages, like one for Galahad Fortress, or Mechanis Field, or Agneratha, maybe? I don't know. Hmm. Do we know if Shulk's available in the Mario Maker 2? Or there are no Amiibo no? costumes in Mario Maker 2. Oh, oh man. One of the things I don't like about it. But it's still a good game. I'm just a bit disappointed about that. There will never be a Joker okay. costume. <laughs> yeah, I bet oh, there's a lot of people who are super salty about that. And by the way, they mean Persona 5 Joker, not Dark Knight Joker. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, I guess actually on that point, um, the one issue that I do have with, like, Shulk being in... Like, I don't actually have an issue with Shulk being in Smash Bros. I think it's cool. But I... Oh, of I, course. It, it, what makes me slightly mad is that he, he he was announced for Smash Bros. before I was in a Xenoblade, and I got into Xenoblade kind of through, like, an un, like an unrelated uh, thing in, in Smash... Like, I was in... I got... I got into Xenoblade after Smash Brothers came out, but it wasn't. Right. It was not because of Smash Brothers, and so I'm a little like ticked off that I I wasn't quick enough for that because I could be one of the people who said that he liked it before Smash came out. <laughs> yeah. You but have yeah, to. Like, you you gotta say you liked for, it for me, after. Like, that. Let me tell you, like it was when Smash Four was coming out. I was so hyped because I I remember seeing the trailer for Shulk because this has been years after I played. A couple years after I played Xenoblade for the first time, since I played it at launch. And seeing that trailer with Shulk, I kept on rewatching it. And I and what was also cool about it was the rumors. Like when people when people were leaking footage of Shulk being in Smash 4 and everyone was debating on whether or not it was true. I think I think there's one um there's one video that was leaked from like the ESRB's website. Yeah. Because of like Shulk. Because there was that one video, of, it was Shulk doing Air Slash, and everyone was trying to debate whether or not that was Adam Howden's voice. Mm-hmm. And that was crazy, and then when this trailer finally dropped, that was insane. I remember being so happy that somebody leaked his uh, victory theme, and I remember I kept replaying it over and over and over again. I was just so, so freaking hyped about you that. You had it on and then they announced point. Mega Man, and I was hyped about that too. It was, good. It was a good time. 2014 was a great year. <laughs> I, I, I do. We also do got to thank Ace uh, Xenoblade for giving Ace uh, the time of day to be because, like, I think they only did like MMO stuff before, but now they were like in mm-hmm. like Nintendo's like back pocket, and so then they went on to record uh, gameplay Ganlian and uh, the Beneath the Mask remix uh, for hey. Smash Brothers, and like, yeah, yes, just, yeah, just yes. That's so cool. And then they released the um the poster for Shulk in Smash Bros. Uh, yeah. I'm so mad because that, that, that was on Club Nintendo. Did you not get that? It was on Club Nintendo and I didn't get it. Ugh. Oh, no. it's such a nice poster. I couldn't I have gotten it. There's room. no way I could have gotten it at that point. 
Yeah, I'm trying to, like, I want to frame it, because I still have that and then a few other of the Smash Bros. posters. That's one of the things that they didn't do with Smash Ultimate that's kind of disappointing. They didn't do newcomer posters. Yeah, they didn't do the newcomer posters, because what they did for those was they had them drawn by um, the, the character's respective artists, so they looked really cool. Yeah. So I think the fan art, the, the fan art community is pretty pretty well covered. I mean, I, I actually ordered a uh, Joker from Persona 5 poster, and then I, I do have a Xenoblade poster in my room from the uh, the Monado archives, but I should probably find the, the Smash nice. Brothers one later. Um, nice. Um, but, yeah. Um, uh, well, speaking of Adam Howden's voice, did anyone use his voice in Xenoblade X? I did. Actually, no. I, I I did not I didn't either. See, it's cool and I'm happy it exists and I'm actually like it's mm-hmm. really freaking cool that it, it's a thing and people who want to mm-hmm. do that go for it. Um but I want it so my for the first time I played I did the rebel voice which I don't remember which voice actor that is. I think mm-hmm. that was Keith Silverstein because I remember picking that one too. Yeah, and uh that that was like I just my thought of it was this is completely different. Uh, from anything else. I think I'd be a little bit more receptive to Karina Reeves if I was playing a girl. Because um, mm-hmm. I've heard her in more roles. Um, but Adam Howden can only be Shulk for me. Where, like, Karina Reeves can be Fiora, but then she can also be the frickin' uh, Kira Witch in uh, Professor Layton and uh, Phoenix Wright crossover. Which is a thing, and you should look it up because she also says the, uh, goes on and on and online in that game. And so, everyone, like, it's Fiora. <laughs> Uh-huh. Also, <laughs> also, as far if we're going to talk about other casting roles, uh, I'm pretty sure they both also appear in Final Fantasy XIV. With yeah, Reeves. I think I read that really? somewhere. Reeves is Tataru. Behind the voice actors, where are you? And uh, Howden plays the the adopted son of General Arden, I think. Looking it up now. Hmm. And yes, Keith Silverstein does the do the Rebel voice in Xenoblade X. Mm-hmm. And then for my second playthrough, I did the studious voice for Gnosis, my uh, OC. So he's done. Mm. Um, he's done a whole. All right, so I'll, I'll read off all, all of Adam Howden's voices. He has done uh, from bottom to top. I'll just. He did in Dragon Age Two. He did a character named mm. by the name of Anders. Um, mm-hmm. In Zillimbi Chronicles and Smash Brothers, he obviously did Shulk. In Final Fantasy XIV Heavensward, he did Pippin. In yep, Zillimbi Chronicles X, it. he was the protagonist. Uh, XCOM, he was a, just a generic soldier. He was an XCOM 2. Uh, uh, Nino Kuni 2 Revenant Kingdom, he was uh, Leander. Uh, oh. uh, and, in, uh, he, and then in Final Fantasy XIV Shadowbringers, he was uh, a character named Thaif, or whatever, I can't, remember, can't pronounce that. But uh, it seems like Xenoblade and Final Fantasy XIV are like the two like things that he's like really in. And then Karina Reeves is all kinds of stuff, but I'll I'll look that up anyway. Can you spell out that name in chat then? Uh, Adam Howden or Karina Reeves? No, no, no. Oh, no. oh, the 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 fourteen character. Yeah. Uh, T. Uh, yeah. Let me do that real quick. T- yeah, I'm looking at that character too, and it's Thief. Th- yeah, I, I don't play. Second. I don't play fourteen, so. Yeah, it's been a while since I last touched it. Yeah, I've I've heard it's been really good, or at yeah. least since the reboot. Yeah. Yeah, she is pretty so, strong all around. Yeah, so she's um she's two. Uh, Karina Reeves is uh 
Uh, she actually isn't as much stuff as I thought she was. Um, she's in Demon Chronicles. She's in Dark Souls 2. She plays two characters in that. Oh. Um, she plays uh, in Dark Souls 2. She plays uh, Rose. Uh, she plays Rosabeth of Melfin and uh, Melfanito. Uh, I don't know anything about those. I don't know. I don't know Dark Souls that well. Um, she's obviously Kieran, Professor Layton versus uh, Phoenix Wright. Uh, she's Tataru in 14 Heaven's Ward, as well as Stormblood, and then, uh, oh, and actually all the 14 expansions. And uh, she's in, uh, obviously, Fiora and the protagonist in X and uh, 2 and X, respectively. Yeah, kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah but uh, Adam Howden, every Xenoblade game, please. <laughs> yeah, what yes. kind of sucks is yes. that neither of, those, neither of those actors will be able to stand on the same stage as Doctor. The doctor. Ah, sorry. I can't talk today. Um, something I've always found interesting, actually, if you go online and look up some early Adam Howden interviews about, like, his voice acting career, it, it was before, mm-hmm. like, the huge Xenoblade boom after Smash Brothers, but he often, like, he actually talked about, like, how he played Shulk and Xenoblade Chronicles, and he says, like, it's a, it's a good game, and I wish more people noticed it. Uh, <laughs> well, agreed. Which came true. Mr. Howden, agreed. <laughs> I mean, like mm-hmm. it's it's like super successful. It's like successful now, but back then, it, yeah, it was it was very. Yeah. It, it's like it, it never failed. Xenoblade never failed, but it was very niche. No, and it, it didn't. And um, it was it was a weird situation. Um, so obviously you had the Operation Rainfall thing that happened, mm-hmm. and it came out. I believe pre-orders were actually relatively high, but the thing was, many GameStops didn't order a lot of copies outside of pre-orders. Mm-hmm. And so the copies that either weren't picked up by pre-orders or whatever extra copies they had, they just kind of sat on store shelves for a while. Because a lot of people didn't really care about it because it was the Wii. Yeah. And a lot of people didn't care about the Wii at the time and then, outside of Mario, Zelda, and Smash. And then, like, later on, the Wii U came yeah. out. And I think that kind of um, made a few people interested in the game because they figured, oh, hey, the Wii U's out. I want some games to play for it. Uh, here's a Xenoblade game that came out earlier this year. Maybe I'll pick it up. So, you know, so a couple of people picked it up there. And then you had people like Chugga Conroy, who had their Let's Play, which got a lot of people interested That's in it. That's how I got into it, really. And, yeah. yeah a, a lot of people, uh, they saw that playthrough, and they found out about the game. Uh, copies started disappearing some more. They started going for a lot of money online. And then Smash Bros. came out, and that just made it even more popular. And then I remember GameStop. Um, they started jacking up prices of their own. Oh, God. Because oh, yeah. like, Nintendo sent them new, brand new copies of the game, and then they started opening them up and then marketing them as used. Oh, that's... And even on their own website, oh. they started a brand new line of video games called Vintage oh. Collection or something like that. It was like the Nintendo Vintage Game. Oh, that's just and bad. And they had Xenoblade and Metroid Prime Trilogy, because both those games were kind of hard to find at that point. But they got a new shipment of both of them. So they opened them, marked them as used, and tried to sell them under this new line of games. And then, I think it was Alpha Omega Sin, but there's this one big YouTuber who called them out on it. He released this video that was just like, look, this is what GameStop is doing. Don't support this. And then, like, suddenly they started taking that down, and it, it, was, it was funny. It's come oh, down in price recently. They tried to copy strike him? Some... They tried to copy strike the guy? What was that? They tried to DMC huh? his video or something. Did they? I I don't know. I'm asking. Um, I don't remember if they did or not. I just remember that after like videos like that came out, like GameStop, they started to 
kind of um, brush out of the rug and try to like hide and not like really be as blatant about it. Yeah. All I know is Something if I- if that's what, if that is what happened, I probably would should have known about it earlier. Something I'm trying to learn actually is I'm actually not sure if this is a thing. It might be, but. Uh-huh. I'm I'm actually not sure because I've I only have a sample source of a sample size of two for this. My own copy mm-hmm. of the Inlay Chronicles I got used from a guy who I think got a release and took really good care of it. It's actually really good condition. It's really cool. Um, it has the reversible cover, right? Like the the reversal cover, right? Uh-huh. Yes. Did all new copies that like Nintendo, like the second printing that Nintendo did, did they not have that? Because my friend got a copy and that it didn't have the reversible cover. Is that? Oh. Uh, let me go check mine. And there's another thing with the Xenoblade copies where uh, I think even later than the second wave that Nintendo sent out to uh, GameStops, there was this wave of Xenoblade copies, which you can still find today, that are from, like, that are supposed to be from, like, from, from like, uh, Arabic countries or something like that. It's like, there's, like, a Southeast Asia wave of Xenoblade copies. There's, like, a, the, the cover's slightly different. Weird. Yeah, like, I've seen that pop. I've seen that pop up at some GameStops at times. Uh, I'm going to look that up real quick, because I'm not entirely sure what that's about. Okay, so mine does have the reversible cover. Okay, I... I mm. Please, uh, I would like, if anyone's listening to this and have does did not get the reversible cover on their physical copy of Xenoblade 1 on the Wii, please uh, tweet me at LegoDark2001. I would like a sample size of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, the release of Xenoblade... A one on the Wii is a very it's a very weird one, especially like I mentioned with um the GameStop thing, which by the way, if I got any of that wrong, by all means let me know, because I don't know if I have every single detail of it. I only know of the little bits that I saw from it, so I could mm-hmm. be wrong on some some details here and there. Yeah, any little bit but of information yeah. would help. Yeah, because it, it was just a weird, really weird release. Nintendo handled it in a very weird way. Yeah, and then, then X uh, came out on the Wii U, which was already hamstrung it further, the, the series further. Well, well, actually, X actually stole, sold pretty well for Wii U standards. My understanding is, yeah, it did. yeah, it did. Strangely enough, um, probably because so, actually X was actually quite well marketed, in my opinion. So, um, that's cool. So uh, it's, I th- so another it's a good thing, thing that. Sorry. No, no, I just was going to point out that one of the great things about the reason why Xenoblade copies have gone down in price so much these days is because of the, um, uh, is because of one, the Wii U release into the 3DS release. So it's easier to play than ever. <laughs> anyway, please talk. <laughs> so I was going to say that, uh, I'm glad that Xenoblade 2 seems to be doing pretty well on the Switch as mm-hmm. well as Turn of the Golden Country. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I feel like anyone who is like really into it would probably get Torna. So, and like it, and it has like a freaking physical copy. So, I mean, why not? And and digital. That's what I got. So. <laughs> but yeah, um, I guess like the last thing I want to say, um, since we were mentioning Adam Howden, is just like how great of a voice actor he was for Shulk. Um, there are certain lines that he says that are just like so well delivered. I'll kill you. Really out. Yeah, like I still watch that cutscene at times, and I, I honestly get chills when I hear it. I'll kill you. 
Adam Howden mm-hmm. is a prime example of what good voice acting is in anything, really. Also, good direction. Like, yeah, good voice, good voice acting, and good voice direction. They really that Xenoblade One has really good voice direction. Surprisingly yeah. good voice direction for a freaking like 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 I believe the story for the reason why it was localized in Europe was just because Europe wanted more games to lo- like Nintendo Europe wanted more games to localize because Nintendo of America was taking all the stuff and of course this is during the Wii era where there weren't really all that big heavy hitters aside from like Gar- Mario-, Mario Galaxy and all that and so it like Europe was like we'll just take this game that we have the rights to we'll just translate it and put it out there and see if it does well I believe that's just how the story goes and it works. And then, and and then now like, we Reggie have said, a, and now we have a JRPG with a distinct feel to its sound. Yeah, and not, yeah, not, yeah, the the whole European thing, and we don't have a uh, freaking Funimation Atlas uh, doing mm-hmm. reason the same was. And another thing is not only that, but because this game was like one, this game was like hard to get out here, but because it did like well and stuff like that. For some reason, Nintendo finds it a requirement to release Xenoblade games as a holiday-like item. Like, how cool oh, is yeah, that? Every yeah. December, except for yeah. except for Torna, which was released in September, but that's still in like the general area. Yeah, yeah. The only thing that that's kind of that kind of sucks about that is um, because they're December releases, they can't be featured at like video game awards. That is true, <laughs> and it really yeah. sucks. yeah, that really puts it a weird yeah. Because man, that hamstrings Xenoblade Two, especially, totally could have been a nominee for music. Absolutely, no doubt. Mm, oh yeah, definitely. I mean, did, yeah. did Octopath win that one or something? I think so. Octopath was that sounds a, familiar. Octopath was worthwhile as a runner-up, but Xenoblade Two, you can't oh. you can't beat Mitsuda. Uh, uh, Yasunori Mitsuda, you just can't. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I still s- played and Blade Two music on an almost nearly daily basis. Yeah, I tend to listen to the title theme for X2 to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Xenoblade <laughs> music is surprisingly good for, like... I have a few other songs. Like, I have yeah, the, I my think, uh, playlist right here. Yeah, and uh, Kenji Hiramatsu did some of my favorite songs in Xenoblade 2, like uh, Counter-Attack and the battle theme and Torna. So yeah, it's I need, so I need so to get great. I've played one on soundtrack sometime. I have the second one on the deluxe uh, OST, but uh, I need to get the. Oh one. nice! I need like the like it was like the they had like three types, and I have like the type B that they released in Japan. I got that imported. I don't, I don't remember which one because I was in Japan a little while ago and I saw one of the Xenoblade Two soundtracks. I don't remember which one it was exactly, but it was in the big big case. Uh, was it in like yeah. a, was it in a plastic case with Pyro and Mithra on the cover? Yes, yes. That was that's like the standard release. I have a um Oh, uh, okay. Let me show you like the release that I have. It's uh basically it's like a really nice box set that has the that has the the Zohar, the Zohar core crystal on the cover. Uh, um, uh-huh. It's re- it, has, it also has like it's like all the all the songs on disc and then it has like uh like like a like a printed signed copy of like like the entire like music team and everything. Let me pull this up uh for you guys. Yeah, I remember there's a big box set. It's that. really freaking fancy, dude. Um, yeah, I actually bought the Zelda One OST recently because Amazon actually had it in stock not even that long ago, and it was actually really cheap. Oh, nice! And yeah, that that looks that's really. I mean, it's simplistic but nice. It's really that design. It's really pr- and there's a lot of Ooh. stuff in here. You can also tell this was taken after Rex's 
first deck. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, well, sorry, it had to be said. No, you're fine. It's just and also, we, oh, go on. And I'll say and this will probably be um, the last thing I'll I'll say about this is we kind of went over two hours. So one thing that I find really interesting about Zenoblade One mm-hmm. is that despite it being kind of a niche title at launch, it kind of oh sets a template for modern JRPGs past 2010. Absolutely. Because there was a mm. tweet on Twitter where uh, somebody was showing like a bunch of modern JRPGs and just how similar like the look is to Xenoblade 1. Well, like Xenoblade was pr- like Xenoblade One was pretty brilliant in like how it blended MMO like design philosophy into a traditional JRPG personality right. based like combat. Com- it was really brilliant and like it's very groundbreaking and it's kind of sad because it will never get recognized for it. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I know the JRPG fan base they will ref- they will never give Xenoblade One the credit it deserved in that regard. Yeah. So Final we will hear. Final Fantasy XV is just Xenoblade with a car. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. that's not wrong. Yeah. Oh no, I just the beat closest Final we get 15, to the so yes. It, that's actually that's not my quote. That's a Chugakaimer quote, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, but in Xenoblade, the closest you ever get to the car is the busted buggy. Yeah. <laughs> and you never Mount even drive, drive the damn thing. <laughs> Mount system in Xenoblade One. <laughs> That would have been nice for the Gower Plains. Which, on another note, map system in 2, not great. Not great at all. Uh, yeah. But we can save that one for when we finally get to Zelda 2 on the podcast. Do we have? Really done, I don't think we've done a Zelda 2 episode yet. Oh, oh snap. And also, we mentioned it in certain other topics, but... Yes. I was just also thinking, like, I, well, I think someone already suggested an idea of, like, areas, like, favorite areas of the Zeno series. So Balak Mountain. Yeah. That just came down to, came to my Mountain mind. Balak is, is definitely one of my favorites. I actually think I like Satoru Marsh better. <laughs> uh, Satoru Marsh. Night, though, yeah. Satoru Marsh is my favorite. Anyway. I can't really decide on which one's my favorite. To... Mm. Yeah, is I there... Mean, I think it's a good spot for us to wrap up. Yeah. Yeah, we... Did a really good job. Well, most of you guys did a really good job discussing Shulk. So thank you all for joining us for this episode. The last thing, um, I, the last thing I want to say is that we did talk a lot about Xenoblade <laughs> One as a game, but I feel like a lot of Shulk's yeah. identity also like is Xenoblade's identity. Right. Yeah, he carries yeah. on the. I agree. I mean, the legacy of Xenoblade One of the Xenoblade series, actually. But yeah. Uh oh, Jin's yeah. right. cutting um, out. Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. Um, but yeah, I was just saying that how, yeah, Shulk does kind of encompass the legacy of the Xenoblade series, and, and including Xenoblade episode, or <laughs> Xenoblade episode one. We can Xenoblade talk about <laughs> <one. laughs> Oh, <laughs> under my, sorry. My, under my theory of how the games are laid out, it could be called Xenoblade episode one. I don't know. <laughs> it was called the beginning of the world at some point, so you know. Okay, which world? <laughs> Xenoblade Episode 1, Beginning of the World. I mean, it was just called Monado, Beginning of the World, so, you know. Yeah, right. Okay. Alright, so, let, okay, yeah. Since we... It's a good time to wrap things up. Uh, first, um, 
Yeah, if there's any, uh, we'll just go around and if there's anything you want to plug, any projects or social media uh, you want to uh, plug, just uh, let us know. Uh, I'll start with uh, Justin. Yeah, so um, I don't matter if I mentioned it in the last episode we recorded, but yeah, I just had a great panel um, at Too Many Games over in Oaks, Pennsylvania. I do hope to have that on YouTube soonish. And I actually just came from another convention right before we reported this. Like, literally, I walked <laughs> in the door, and then I ran to my computer. So that's a, that's a whole other thing. I was at Kineticon, and that was a lot of fun. And um, I'm gonna, I might be writing something about that. Also, um, on, on Rainfall, we'll be having some manga reviews coming out very soon, which is going to be lovely. Nice. And... Ooh. Yeah, otherwise that's pretty much everything that's been going on with me. Cool. And you and you had a pretty good uh Cosmo Kiryu cosplay. Yes, uh yep. if you've all very good. Me, you definitely saw me. <laughs> yep, I did. That was very um, excellent. Yeah, you got photoshopped <laughs> into <laughs> judgment, I think. I did get yeah, my friend uh, photoshopped me into um Judgment's version of Kamurocho. And I got more pictures too, because like uh I was my friend took pictures of me at the arcade playing some games, which is really cool. So I'll be uploading those later as well. Nice. All right. Uh, Owen, oh, would you like to discuss anything you're working on? Sure. Uh, there's a couple things, I guess. Um, I was like, my, my go-to is Twitter. So, uh, I'm at Lego 2001. Um, I mostly talk about whatever I'm obsessed with at the time. So right now I'm going through a huge Megami Tensei thing. So I'm talking a lot about like persona and Megami Tensei, like the like original, like Megami Tensei and then mm-hmm. Nocturne nice. and stuff. Um, uh, I'm going to be going to PAX West this summer, uh, that, sorry, in August. Uh, I will be cosplaying using Narakami. If any of you guys are going to that in Seattle, uh, hit me up. We'll go hang out to anyone listening to this, really. Um, love to talk to people. Um, aside from that, uh, we, I do actually have a separate podcast of my own called the, uh, Quest Clear Podcast. Um, you can find us on Twitter or YouTube or whatever. Uh, I gotta get our audio files up on an actual podcasting site soon, but that is coming up. I think and I've then, heard, I think I've heard from one of those episodes actually. Really, that'd be cool. Um, and uh, finally, uh, I am working on a game. Um, it's I actually haven't touched it in a little bit, but I I'll be getting back to working on it. Um, where uh, it's it's inspired a lot by Xeno and uh, Earthbound, and it's like a weird like fantasy modern day kind of. RPG type game. It's it, I, I enjoy. It. It's weird, but it's fun. Um, and so I sometimes post updates on that on my own Twitter uh, at LegoDeathS1 again. I also post art and things like that. And yeah, nice. All right, uh, Blue. Is there anything you'd like to share? Uh, yes, actually. Uh, I do have an archive of our own account where I post my more recent fan fiction. I'm currently working on mm-hmm. a series between. A bunch of OCs who are getting into trouble, and the world of Fire Emblem fates. <laughs> that's and, that's a... and I don't mean like we TP'd the school building sort of trouble. I mean like, oh shit, we gotta go back and fix this. I don't damn what our employer says. Oh god, we're in trouble. <laughs> sort of trouble. Cool. Okay. Is there anything else, sir? Oh well, for now that's it. Okay. All right. Um, and I'll be sure to link that in the show notes as well. Both of your guys' stuff. Um, 
Thank you. Currently, um, I'm uh, besides writing articles for RPG Fan. Um, I did well. I did write um, for our mother for the Mother's Day and Father's Day. They had a uh, a feature on best moms and dads in video games, and I contributed several Zeno uh, moms and dads for that. Um, <laughs> I remember you posted that on Twitter. Yeah, I put. Uh, of course, I had to put Riki on best one of best dads. He, he's he's just I couldn't have done it without him. Yes, definitely. Um, <laughs> uh, but other than that, I've just been working on this and avoiding working on my Zeno figures that I need to put together. Um, but yeah. Anyway, um, so that was the Shulk episode. Uh, for the future, um, by the time this episode's out, I'm hoping we'll have Love Part 1 out, maybe? Um, Love Part 2 is recorded, and Love Part 3, I think we're recording it sometime early in August, I believe. Um, and that will probably be the last part. Um, and then we're currently, well... This will be old news, but we're currently running a poll on Twitter of what to cover next. Um, it's Xenoblade themed because we're kind of lacking in Xenoblade episodes at the moment. Um, I mean, besides the one we're recording right now. But um, last I checked, Alma was in the lead. But if tied with Amalthus, um, I think this, um, she was tied with Amalthus, um, but then uh, she broke the tie. So, but by the time this is posted, it, someone could have completely come, like, Nia could have made a comeback, I don't know. Nia's probably uh, at 14%. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she's not She's not making a comeback. <sighs> Guess there's only oh, one well. way to find out. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so that's kind of if, if for the future, except I do believe, I think... Yes, I'll I'll say this now so I don't push it off anymore. But we, I think after that episode, we will be doing the queer theory episodes, which we decide would be two episodes. So there's a lot of Zeno chat planned out, and um, our year anniversary is in September. Oh yeah, dang! I can't believe it's been a year. Dang, <laughs> really? Right? It's only been a I year. I just, yeah. I remember I just met you guys on a random Xeno uh, server, uh, Discord server, and now here we are. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. cool. I mean, like, before this, I mean, I'm still, like, friends with a lot of my older Xeno friends, but I've actually made a bunch of mo- new Xeno friends as well from this. So this has been really, I mean, I mean, even if the podcast turned out to suck or anything, I think it's been a worthwhile experience. It's been a heck of a ride. I mean, what was crazy was uh, when I did my panel at Too Many Games, uh-huh. one of our listeners was actually there. That's, oh, that's yeah, crazy. you talked about that. Which is nuts. Yeah, and they came up to me afterwards, and they were telling me about it. Like, yeah, you know, I recognize your voice. You, you're on Xenochat, and then you mentioned it there. And like, and they were saying, they were giving us a lot of good feedback, and it, it was just that's the greatest feeling. awesome, dude. That, that that's fantastic. Awesome. I never. I was I was so thankful to hear about that. that was just, shout out to that wow. guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah shout out to you, you sir. That, yeah. I I never expected something like that to happen. And hopefully we we are planning to hopefully have a panel at um, Katsukan twenty uh, twenty, um, but we'll kind of wait before, because um, I don't think they've 
uh, allow people to make apply for panels yet, but hopefully we'll get one. Yeah, they didn't open. Yeah, I yeah, just put it in the but chat, we'll... but expect the unexpected. <laughs> that seems yeah. to be something of a lesson to learn from Xenoblade itself, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Alright, and then on Watch. that note, um, uh, thank you all for listening, and uh, thanks for the guests today. Thank you very much for uh, taking your time to talk with uh, us today, and uh, thank have you for night, having everybody. us. That was cool. Thank you for no having problem. us, sir. Until next time. All right. Good night. <laughs>